Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST-249, the melting plot comp. And we always love getting into one of these comps associated with our special guest, Brent. Yeah, Dave Markey's back on the show. Yeah, back as a two-timer, which is just awesome. And as I suspect most of our listeners know, Dave has very close ties to SST, and the melting plot is just another part of that story. So just awesome to have Dave back on the show to get into this comp. It's a wild one. Can't wait to talk about the tracks with you, Brant, as well. But before we do that, we actually did something very unusual for us. We, (laughs) We coordinated our spiels before the episode. We rarely do that. I think we only do that for the year-end episodes, but uh, I was a traveling man yep. and didn't didn't have much time, had to do the uh, the night before the show scramble a bit, and Brant had a eureka moment for us as some spiels this week. Uh, well, I guess it's a combo spiel. Why don't you tell people about the spiel, Brant, and about a particular place we have to go? The comp zone? That's better. Okay, continue. <laughs> but not for the spiels. Oh, yeah. I think we might for some, for, for some, some, okay. Well, for I, some, yeah, I, neither of us had any, anything like teed up for our spiels. So I was like, do you want to do each, do a comp? And, and then I thought, Hey, how about we each pick 10 covers? Like, yeah. I don't know. I'm hesitate to call these my 10 favorite covers. Cause like, I'm probably going to think of a whole bunch more as soon as we're done recording that I'm going to. I had the same comment. Yeah, <laughs> that I'm going to be pissed off that I didn't think of, but like these are just ten that I like. I, th- I guess. Yeah, I picked ten. They're notionally my top ten, but give me more time, and I will come up with ten more top tens. You know. Well, I've got at least ten honorable mentions. So. Oh boy, <laughs> of course. The other reason I liked this idea is because it somewhat eliminates the opportunity for Brant to try and like to win. You know, to win, to win the spiel, it's not a competition. I feel like this is kind of fair play. Although, now that Brant says he has ten honorable mentions, he's obviously going to try and win. So, there well, you go. it's always a competition, but mostly with our <laughs> listeners decide who's got better taste. <laughs> oh, I'm not going there. Yeah. Thank God we don't have a voting function on our right. our our podcast. Well, I could whatever. put out a Twitter poll or something. No thanks. No. Well, you know, go go ahead, man. If I was on Twitter, I might care. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to hurt your feelings, so you'll pro- you'll just screen cap it and send it to me. You're like, <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Let's not do it. Well, anyways, so how do you want to do this? Back and forth. Back and forth. Okay. Yep. Who goes first? You go first. And mine are in no particular order either. Mine either. Mine either. Um, okay. Well, I guess part of the reason I thought we needed to go into the comp zone because some of these do exist on comps, but not this first one. Okay. And my first cover song that came to my mind was Police and Thieves by The Clash. Oh, good one. Yep. Yeah. Off their self-titled 1977 record, originally by Junior Mervin and Lee Scratch Perry. I, I didn't know this, but it was originally released as a single on Wildflower Records called Police and Thief. Hmm. That might have been a typo. But then, of course, I think it is most famously known from Junior Mervin's 1977 album called police and thieves but an absolute stone cold classic yeah i mean 
this will be a common theme for me where like um with mine where it's almost for me like a lot of these are songs where the artist really made it their own and and in some cases that's a good example where it's almost a clash song for me anyways like i own the junior mervin album and i it's always irked me the way he sings it in falsetto like that i like (laughs) i like the clash version better yeah I hear you. I hear you. Like it's a clash song, I guess is what I'm saying. I hear you. I've I know many like that. I think this might be like I'm pretty sure this is my only reggae song in my mm. top ten though. So go for it. You're next. Okay, here's one that maybe is on yours. The Sadies, Mother of Earth by the Gun Club. Oh, dude, it's yeah. on mine. For yeah. sure it is. Yeah, hard hard to listen to to it or anything by the Sadies without honestly feeling like crying, but they always chose amazing covers. I could have also picked Wasn't Born to Follow. Both are on their 2001 album, Tremendous Efforts. Uh, and I'd also give a nod to their version of Psycho with a- Andre Williams on vocals for a good yeah. cover. Yeah, Mother of Earth, of course, originally done by The Gun Club off of the 1982 Miami album. And it's absolutely in the 10 that I had for this show. Okay, well, I'm going to go again then. because. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, Lemonheads. So I talked a few weeks back about my love for the album It's a Shame About Ray, and it has one of my favorite covers on it of all time, and it's not Mrs. Robinson. Technically, that wasn't even on the original album, although most of the most of the versions you'll find their cover of Mrs. Robinson on there, which is, I, like, I love that too. Um, but there's a song on there called Frank Mills from a musical called The Musical Hair, which I, I thought it was orig- an original for many years. Um, it ends the original album, the song Frank Mills. And, mm. you know, it's that and Mrs. Robinson are usually, usually that's usually tacked on to the end. It's just an awesome song. Frank Mills. All right, am I up? Yes. Okay, man. War Pigs by Faith No More. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, originally by Black Sabbath, of course, off their 1970 Paranoid album. This was on the Breakthrough Faith No More album, The Real Thing, on Slash from 1989. And although I'm not a huge Aussie or Sabbath fan, I would say that this cover was kind of like my gateway drug. Hmm. And this one is kind of one of those songs, I guess, from my perspective, that's like a Faith No More song. I'm sure that that's sacrilege for all the Sabbath and Aussie fans, but they just do such a killer version. Yeah. That song's kind of overdone for me, but uh, I really <laughs> liked it when the real thing came out, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking even Sabbath. Like, that's not a song I would ever play, really, intentionally. It's just, you hear it on the radio all the time and stuff. It's kind of played out. Yeah. Well, for me, I've hardly ever heard it other than on the Faith No More record. So right. there. Okay. Uh, the Melvins, Ballad of Dwight Fry. From Lysol. Mm. I still remember exactly where I was when I first heard it, and it sold me on the Melvins. In fact, Lysol was my go-to Melvins album forever, uh, in part because of this song. Always amazing cover selections from the Melvins. They've covered other Alice Cooper songs, like Halo of Flies with Jell-O, which rules. Also, their covers of Kisses Going Blind and Wiper's Youth of America are also excellent. Yeah, don't they do, what's that song? Is it Peter, Peter Green? Green, mm, Ma- the Green, Green? Man Alusha. Well, yeah, yeah. That, there's a cover that I associate more with Judas Priest than, than Peter Green. But 
Um, yeah, like th- that's a good cover. Yeah, well, also on that one they do the Flipper song "Sacrifice" on yeah, Lysol, yeah. which is also right. excellent. Good one. All originally on Boner Records, that mm-hmm. Lysol album too. Hey, cool. Yep. yep. Okay. Well, I have these in no particular order, but just reading top to bottom, I've actually got another Sadie's cover. I had two Sadie's covers on here, and it's not one of the ones you mentioned. Hmm. The Sadie's cover I have to mention is Algoma Reflections, originally done by Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet on their Sport Fishing record, released in 1993 on Cargo Records and produced by Steve Albini. This Algoma Reflections version by the Sadie's is on the comp Better Than an Average Weekend, a tribute to Shadowy Men from 2001 on Deep Eddie Records. And it is a killer version by the Sadies, especially because it has vibraphone on it. Love it. And especially because our band's on the same comp. <laughs> no, not not at all. Not at all. <laughs> okay, uh, Manic Street Preachers, Suicide is Painless. They did this supposedly for like 80 bucks in some cheap studio for some charity compilation or something and it kind of became like a surprise underground hit and with good reason this is the theme from mash it does have lyrics but most people have never heard them i've i've never heard them um you know it mainly is like the instrumental version from the tv show mash this you can usually find tacked on to various versions of their classic double album debut generation terrorists and it fucking rules check mm. it out ryan if you've never heard it manic street I preacher have, suicide never. is painless yeah it's awesome yeah, no, I'll have to check that out. That sounds interesting. Yeah. I did not know that the theme from MASH has lyrics. Yeah. I just knew it as a super depressing uh, TV show theme song. Yep. <laughs> All right, here's my next one. Another instro, okay? And it is the song Hotel Loneliness yeah. by Huevos Rancheros. I thought about putting that one on mine. You and, so, you and I have always loved that. Yeah, yeah. it's so good, right? Yeah. So it's off the comp. Bloodbath at the Chinese Disco, 1994, Cargo Records, Huevos Rancheros doing a Link Ray song from the 1990, a a very obscure Link Ray album, actually, from 1990, Wild Side of the City Lights on Ace Records. But this is such an amazing, amazing cover song. They do it better than Link Ray. Kind of. And I'm just going to say it. Kind of, yeah. They play it slower. It's just better. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Hotel Loneliness by Huevos Rancheros. Like he Absolutely. wrote it, so I'm not taking anything away from Link, but their version of it's cooler. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably available on like a comp or something. Other than that, like a Wavos, do they have like a? Do they no? They didn't put it on any of their albums, eh? Hey? They have no collections. It is on a split seven inch with Man or Astroman. Well, their second album was kind of a had a lot of singles on it. Yes, agreed can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but had a lot of their singles, like Rockin' Ends- in the Hen House and stuff. Ennsville? No, that's their first album. Uh, Dig In. That's the one. Dig In, yep. Okay, The Nomads. Kind of made a career out of choosing cool covers and making them their own. Like a lot of the, their most popular songs, you maybe people don't even know that they're covers. Yep. In a lot of cases, and some of them are kind of obscure covers, like Alex Chilton's Bangkok. The Liar, She Pays the Rent, Teenage Heads, Picture My Face, tons more. But their version of The Dictator 16 Forever is The Bee's Knees. 
especially since the taters version wasn't officially released until they added it to their rarities comp every day is saturday so for many years it was kind of truly a nomad song if you want to hear it it's on their 1987 album hardware they also released it as a single i'm talking about the nomads version or it's on the greatest hits comp showdown volume one which has some of the greatest rock and roll to ever come out of sweden on it yeah yeah well, it's funny, my next one, again, no particular order, but is a band that I've often associated with the Nomads, but of course from the U.S., it's the Monomen. <laughs> They're okay? on my list too. I wonder if it's the same song. <laughs> uh, well, doing Swampland. Uh, yeah, no, that's not my pick, but it's, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Because again, another band like mm-hmm. the Nomads or the Monomen, like they did amazing covers, I picked the Monoman doing Swampland from their 1992 album Wrecker on Estrus, originally done by the Scientists from 1986 on their Weird Love album. And obviously, if you don't know the Monoman or the Scientists, get going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll skip to my Monoman pick too. And, you know, obviously you and I are both uh, Monoman nuts. And I'll just add Rip Mort. Mm, um, yes. They also always chose great covers like Swampland, Wipers, Return of the Rat, many more. But for me, it's always been their cover of The Zero's Wimp from their final oh. album, Have a Nice Day, Motherfucker. By this point, Dave Kreider was handling all of the vocals and he totally just criderizes this one. <laughs> also a stellar cover of Radio Birdman's Murder City Nights where they slow it down on that record. Mm. I thought you—it's more like a doll swagger than than the Radio Birdman version. I, I thought you might have mentioned Fifty Four or Forty or Fight. That's good too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, there's just so many, right? Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, I'm up next. For me, it's the Doughboys doing "Why She's a Girl from the Chain Store" off the "Something's Gone Wrong Again" comp on CZ Records from 1992. Originally, of course, by the Buzzcocks. Originally on their R Everything 7-inch from 1980, but at least myself and probably most people who came to the Buzzcocks, you know, after the original singles came out, you can get this on the parts 1 to 3 comp 12-inch from 1981. That was definitely more common than the actual singles where I grew up. Yeah. So that, that parts 1 to 3 comp is where I first heard Why She's a Girl from the Chain Store and... The Doughboys plus Buzzcocks equals greatness. Mine's Metallica, Helpless. When the Garage Days EP came out in 1987, like so many kids my age, Metallica was my favorite band, and my friends and I listened to that EP a gazillion times. Metallica also always chose great covers. I could have picked any of the the songs off off of that record. Um, and full credit to Metallica for helping so many bands and artists out. Like, I don't think the Misfits would be as well known as they are today were it not for, for Metallica. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Don't forget about, uh, what's the, what's the GNR record lies that they have covers on? Is that the one or spaghetti incident? The spaghetti. There is covers on lies, but you're thinking spaghetti incident. Yeah. yeah don't, don't forget about GNR, man. Yeah, well, that album's shit, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> this song helpless a diamond head cover still gets me fired up 35 plus years after i first heard it it's awesome nice nice all right this is probably not a surprise for you or when i say it you're gonna go ah oh, obviously it's oh canada 
by No Means No mm. from their 1991 Allied Records single, originally, of course, by the subhumans, the Canadian subhumans, who are on the SS tree because, of course, they put out a record on SST. But this song, O Canada, is originally from the Death to the Sickoids 7-inch from 1978. And you just have a classic Canadian band covering a classic Canadian band doing Oh Canada, which is just a total rip on our uh, our politicians and everything from the late 70s. Yeah. Awesome. It's spelled Oh Canada, D-U-H. Yeah. D-U-H, <laughs> you got it. Uh, the Hangmen and their version of the Lords of the New Church classic Russian Roulette, which they recorded for their amazing comeback record, Metallic IOU, back in 2000. The Black Halos also did a great version of it, and I saw footage recently that Billy Hopeless posted to his his Facebook page from a Hangman show in Vancouver, where Billy got up on stage and sang it with the Hangman. Um, wow! The Halos also do a really killer sped up version of the Hangman song. It's over for you. So lots of tie in between those two bands. I, if they haven't full on toured together, they've definitely played shows together. And yeah, do you remember the first time we saw the Black Halos? And we were watching them on stage play, and we're like, we will never, ever look that cool. Ever. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, man. I remember just kind of going, yeah, not even close for us. Yeah, no, they live it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's a track on a comp. I actually mentioned the comp, I'm going to say, a couple of months ago on the show. It's I Misunderstood by Dinosaur Jr. And this is off of the Beat the Retreat tribute to Richard Thompson from 1994 on Capitol Records. And this is the Dinosaur Jr. version, if you can call it that, that was only, at the time, Jay Maskus and Mike Watt. Hmm. That's that's who recorded the song, just the two of them. I Misunderstood, a great, great Richard Thompson song. I actually dug into this album that it's on way back it's originally from richard thompson's 1991 album rumor and sigh on capitol records great album i kind of got back into richard thompson again this year because of the john french tie-in right and frith but this track popped into my head when i was thinking about it and reminded me i actually got to dig into richard's proper albums Mm -hmm. um this is probably the best cover song on this tribute comp but there are others, of course, by X, by the Lemonheads and whatnot. So check out this comp. But this cover by Dinosaur Jr., I Misunderstood, amazing. I will check that out. I remember you mentioning it, and I, I haven't checked it out. I've never heard it. Okay, my next one is the Fastbacks. Totally redlined version of the Pointed Stick song Apologies off of Ooh. 1990's Very, Very Powerful Motor. It's killer. Kurt Block just melting frets like he always does. Also, they do a shred-tastic version of the sweets, Set Me Free. <laughs> Did you say shred-tastic? Yeah. Okay, perfect. <laughs> All right, is this, this is my number 10 then. This is my final one, okay? Yeah, I got one left as well. Okay, I saved it for last. It's Mannequin by Firehose. Off the, li- off the Live Totem mm-hmm. EP. 1992, Columbia Records. They do another great cover on that. Uh, EP by they do a couple uh, slack motherfucker a sophisticated bitch yeah this is the best one though originally done by Wire of course from their 1977 Pink Flag album there's just nothing like 
you know, one of your favorite bands of all time covering one of your favorite bands of all time and a well-recorded live version where everyone in the band is just on fire. Ed's vocals are killer. The guitar is killer. Watt's bass lines are killer. And of course, Georgie's just tearing it up on the kit. Mannequin by Firehose. Awesome. Is the red and the black on that EP too? Yep. They just fucking tear that up too, hey? That's the BOC song? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That live totem EP, like, it was hard to find for a while. I definitely had to search when it was time for me to get that one. Yeah. Okay, my last one is Thin Lizzy, Rosalie. It's a Bob Seger song, but for me, it's a Thin Lizzy song. And probably for most people, I would say, too. Uh, the studio version off of Fighting is okay, but it's the live and dangerous version that is the definitive one. Love it. Wow. That's a good list, man. Yeah. Hey, uh, so when I, like, I just grabbed a scrap piece of paper and wrote down a whole bunch of songs that came into my head. So I have a few, <laughs> I have, would you like to hear a few more that were, were up for consideration? Like in addition to the honorable mentions you already have waiting? Yeah. Yeah. Just no, no. It. These are the honorable mentions. These are the ones that I didn't pick that were on my possibility list. Oh, I thought you said you already had like 10 honorable mentions. These are more. Or these are them. These are them. Yeah. These are them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hit it. Hit it. Uh, we- wheelchair Epidemic. Jesus Lizard. Oh, yeah. Cover of the Dicks. Hanson Brothers. Get It Right Back from the Slapshot movie. I th- That song didn't do much for me when that uh, My Game album came out, but then I saw them play that song. Like, pr- might even, even have been on their final tour, and it was just awesome. I've loved it ever since. Um, speaking of the Hanson brothers, and you mentioned No Means No, I wrote down Bitches Brew. It's, oh, yeah. It's not one I listen to a ton because it's so long and, and stuff, but I love that album that it came off of, one. Mm-hmm. And it's like super impressive that they, like Rob's lyrics for the song are amazing. Yeah, to cover Miles Davis to begin with, but to also put lyrics to it in such an excellent way. Yeah. That's insane. Hey, don't forget the Hanson Brothers cover song of Dad. Yeah. Brad. I thought of that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, SNFU, Wild World. I've always loved it. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Who's that? Cat Stevens? Yeah. So, yeah, 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 right. Chesterfield Kings, they do a cover of Merle Haggard's Sing Me Back Home, like done like in the stone, style of the Stones, mm. on that record, Let's Go Get Stoned, which is kind of a their tribute to the Rolling Stones, and it's awesome. Anthrax has a cover of this French band Trust song, uh, Antisocial, which is pretty much an Anthrax song at this point. Isn't that Anthrax song, like, Time? Isn't that a cover song or something? Yeah, Joe Jackson, Get the Time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Beasts of Bourbon and their version of ACDC's Ride On is awesome. Oh, yeah. Red Cross on their most recent album did the Spark song, When Do I Get to Sing My Way, and it's awesome. Teenage Head and their sped up version of the boys' song, First Time. Ha, I have that on my honorable mentions. Which version, though? Uh, not the Marky Ramone one. The one, the one from Head one Disorder. From head, head yeah. Disorder? Yeah. yeah. Who got you that CD, by the way? Was it you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remember? You were banned from the store. You couldn't go in. <laughs> well, I don't remember. You don't I, remember? I was banned from the store? Yeah, uh, that, store, that store on 8th Street back that, home. You that, were got that banned. That sounds like a... Sp- story for another episode but i don't you remember think I, you think i'm making that up no i vaguely remember it now that you're saying it <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm so glad i remembered that uh the long writers do a version of nrbq's i want you bad that's really good 
The Queers, Don't Back Down. Kiss, 2000 Man, with Ace on vocals. Dead Kennedys and their hyperactive version of Viva Las Vegas. The Smalls from Canada do that Pretender song, Middle, middle of the Road. Oh, yeah. The two Voivod Pink Floyd covers are great. Um, GNR, Aeros- does Aerosmith's Mama Kin on that uh, Live Like a Suicide record you mentioned. X doing the door. I didn't, I didn't mention that record, man. I mentioned oh. Spaghetti Incident, which sucks, by the way. Yeah, it does. X doing the door <laughs> Soul Kitchen. <laughs> Devo Satisfaction, never not smiling when I hear that. Yeah. Priest doing Joni Mitchell's Diamond and Rust. One we just had, The Descendants doing Wendy. Mm. Didn't think of this until I was done doing my top 10 picks, or else it probably could have been there. Uh, but The Circle Jerks, Wild in the Streets. Talk about a band who, like, that is a Circle Jerk song, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, it's their song. Joan Jett, Crimson and Clover, always loved it. Hendrix, All Along the Watchtower. Ramones, I Don't Want to Grow Up. And also Joey's version of What a Wonderful World. What about Spider-Man? Yeah, that's cool, too. Uh, <laughs> the Dam, doing Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbits. Isn't, there's a whole album of the Ramones doing covers. Is that Acid Eaters? Is that the yeah, one? Yeah, that's not great. I thought their version of Substitute was good. Is that, yeah. is that on that one? Probably. Yeah, it is yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I had, Ryan. Do you have any, any cleanup? Honorable mentions. I had a few, you know, there would be dozens and dozens, but I did want to note, of course, Virus 100. Mm-hmm. That is just chock full of amazing covers like Let's Lynch the Landlord by Faith No More, Holiday in Cambodia by Sister Double Happiness. Yeah. That is just a barn burner, man. Yeah. Police Truck by The Digits, amazing. I also, when I was looking in my comps and tributes section, I unfortunately came across this record that has two good covers on it. Remember Encomium, the Led Zeppelin tribute? It I has yep. Custard Pie by Helmet and David Yao. That's good. Yeah. And then Four Sticks by Rollins Band. Yeah. That's good. The rest is not. Yeah. A couple other ones that caught my attention that I kind of forgot about. Rock and Roll Girl by the Muffs on the Freedom of Choice record. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great comp and it a is, great yeah. a, a great cover of Paul Collins and the Beat, Rock and Roll Girl by the Muffs. You know it would be good. And then uh, I also caught uh, the Jawbox version of Low on the Surprise Your Pig tribute to R.E.M. record. Like that's a great version of a great song by a great band, just like all of these other ones that we picked out. I could go on and on for days, but those are my additional ones. The Muffs do a great cover on a Trogs tribute album too. I can't remember the the name of the song, Cry If You Want To or something like that, but it's a great version. Mm. Yeah. It's on like Dog Meat, that Australian label, I'm pretty sure. That's okay. good. Yeah. I haven't seen a Trogs tribute. Got to check that out. Yeah. Hey, let's get into this melting plot record, Ryan. History lesson, part one. All right, Brent, before we get into it, do you want a marquee rundown real quick? Yes, please. Okay, so here we go. Just to mention the releases that uh, Dave is associated with, you know, there's more, but these are the obvious ones, I'll put it that way. So SST 57, that's the Painted Willy Mind Bowling record where Dave was a guest for the first time, episode 57. Then there is the Painted Willy Live from Van Nuys, SST 85. SST-98 is the Upside Downtown. SST-107 is the My Fellow Americans. And don't forget that My Fellow Americans 
wasn't actually released. So we did uh, a roundup on that episode. Same with SST 108, the self-titled, where we did a roundup on that episode. So no actual Painted Willy release, but technically that's their catalog number. So we had to do something for those episodes. And then episode 178, the Painted Willy Relics album. And then, of course, there are releases associated with Dave's films. So there's SST 62, the Love Doll Superstar soundtrack, and then SST 72, the Desperate Teenage Love Dolls soundtrack, and most recently, SST 234, the mini plot, three inch CD, where we had Jennifer Schwartz on as a guest. Yeah. So I was thinking this week, like right off the bat, kind of unique on the show that we're doing a comp. It's been a while. SST didn't do a ton of comps, like a lot of labels were doing around this time. I guess like when I say comps, I mean like this style of comp. They they did a lot of anthologies, especially in the era that we're getting into now. Mm-hmm. But some previous ones like, you know, um, the first four years or Seven Inch Wonders of the World or like the Godhead Store Dude play device promo tapes that they did. But we're going to be getting into more of these anthologies like St. Vitus, The Screaming Trees, Summary, Meat Puppets, HR, etc., Earlier on, they did more like samplers, I would call them, like Program Annihilator or, and the Blasting Concept, um, the No Age Comp. Um, I know some of those tracks weren't released at the at the time that that comp came out, but the, the you know eventually they all did come out on the on the parent albums. And before anyone corrects me, I realized that Blasting Concept Two had tracks like exclusive to that release. Yep. And although you know these are all super important comps too by the way i'm not saying that that they're not you know like the first four years was huge for me you know and summary you know but um it's these types of comps that that i'm talking about that they didn't do a lot of interesting though like you mentioned that the two that really stand out in my brain are the other two that dave markey was involved in the Mm -hmm. two the two film soundtracks so yeah, even when you think of like Duck and Cover or SST Acoustic, this type of comp, Melting Plot, stands on its own. Yeah, those are like just repackaging, right? So Ryan, we've got a bunch of different bands on this uh, episode. Some we've seen before, some we've never seen before. Here's what I want to do. I'm ready to throw to Dave right now, and then when we come back, I'm going to uh, spiel a bit about these bands when we go through the tracks. Let's do it. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Dave Markey. Dave, thanks for being back on the show. Sure. Okay, so we're talking about the melting plot today. So I believe it was Jennifer Schwartz who told us that the kind of concept behind the melting plot was, or the the impetus for the release was, it was to be a vehicle to raise money for a film project. Can you elaborate on that, or is that that accurate? That is uh, true. It was supposed to be. Uh, a benefit for a film I was trying to get off the ground at the time did not work. <laughs> uh, it was clear by the time we finished it that we ran up quite a, an enormous studio bill, and uh, there were lots of other expenses involved that uh, that came into play, and never saw a penny off the record. And you know, then again, at that point in time, SST was getting pretty lax with their royalty payments. Yeah. So uh, probably wouldn't have made any money either way. Did the film get made? 
No. Did the title The Melting Plot have anything to do with the film that you wanted to make? It had absolutely nothing to do with it. Okay. Uh, it was just playing off of uh, America being a melting pot and bringing in all these kind of um, varying bands together to do cover tunes was just the concept behind the record. And uh, that was pretty much it. Most of it was recorded at Spinhead, Bill Newman producing. Okay, well, let's talk about some of these tracks and maybe we, we can expand on, on some of the concepts. So uh, it starts with Revolution 409 and, and their cover of Crazy Horses. Were they unable to credit themselves for contractual reasons as Red Cross or did they just decide to, to be Revolution 409? You know, I don't exactly recall whether or not that was Red Cross's label at the time stepping in or just the band saying, we have to appear under a fictitious name. I, it's been so long. Uh, I think it was probably more the latter. They were, I think they were like negotiating record deals at that time and were pretty sensitive yeah. about how they appeared and whatnot. And, you know. I had done so much stuff with Red Cross prior to this with, with the Love Doll soundtracks, and they were always very generous. You go way back with the McDonald brothers, like I think all the way back to like pre-punk. So you know you know the guys anyways. I'm, a, I'm assuming the decision to cover the Osmonds wasn't like a tongue-in-cheek thing for, for those guys. Oh, no, not at all, <laughs> especially, uh, especially that tune. I mean, I think Red Cross had maybe done it once or twice, uh, as a lark live and uh it was quite clear that that was going to be the song choice yeah we liked you know the harder side of the osmonds mm -hmm. like the album the plan which is basically a, a concept record that is kind of unlike anything they did there's songs on there that could be like zappa or blue cheer wow. like super hard rock if you've never heard it yeah this is the band trying to to prove that they're actual songwriters yeah i think i mean i think they were trying to shed a teeny bop image at the time maybe yeah even the song crazy horses sort of points to that direction of uh zeppelin-esque inspired hard rock i assume you got interviewed for the red cross documentary yes i did i did an interview with jennifer schwartz funny enough oh. um I, I have no idea what's going on with that film and uh i'm not even sure if we made the cut Celebrity Skin doing ABBA SOS. I don't know a lot about Celebrity Skin. I know we've talked about some of the some of the musicians before in in relation to um, their connections to Pat Smear and and Twisted Roots and some of these other bands. How did you know Celebrity Skin? Celebrity Skin were uh, prior to forming that band had a band called uh, Vagina Dentata with a couple of the members and also. Pat Smear was in the band, and they had played the very first premiere of uh, Desperate Teenage Love Dolls at the Lhasa Club in July of uh, 1984, and uh, sort of met those guys, Tim uh, Tim Ferris and Gary Jacoby, uh, at that time, and then just sort of stuck around. And Celebrity Skin was kind of getting very active in the L.A. scene at the time as well. And uh, Don Bowles, of course, was uh, the drummer. And I had known Don since he was doing sound at the Cathay de Grand in the early 80s. Sort of that's when I sort of first met, you know, Pat and Don, being a big Germs fan. Yeah. Um, 
celebrity yeah. skin, just their appearance in particular, it seems very similar to the direction Red Cross was going at the time. It was even more sort of surreal in, in a sense. But yeah, I mean, they, they similarly called from that era. But uh, yeah, I think they were just a little even one ounce more over the top, if that's possible. <laughs> uh, the liner's notes say tracking for that song was is by Michael or Mike Whitaker. Is that the Michael Whitaker that we know from Spaceman from SST was there during the recording. Uh, yes. And the recording of that song. Woo, there's a story there. I think they were in the studio for uh, 10 or 12 days straight, nonstop, working on that song. So uh, you can imagine. It sounds like it, too. It yeah. sounds like something that was... Uh, worked on a little too much i feel like there's no way no way this album could have come together without you having the connection with spinhead yeah true um spinhead played a very large role in this and uh other records too all the the painted willy stuff the love doll superstar soundtrack uh the first love dolls film some tracks were recorded there as well so and spinhead was always at the same location it was always the same place uh, on Burbank Boulevard in North Hollywood. Started uh, building that in 83, finished the construction about six months later, lived there, <laughs> rehearsed there. Of course. <laughs> uh, recorded there, did a lot of demos, were sort of warming up trying to, to uh, figure out the recording. and It was really uh, kind of a an amazing time mm -hmm. so much stuff was just sort of happening in that in that era like after playing music for a few years just sort of uh having a place to play music in 24 7 really made a, a world of difference yeah yeah i'm sure like if you didn't have a basement to jam in rehearsal space was probably at a premium at that time yeah i um i think the band sent 34 that we started in 81 and uh by that point it had been pretty well uh, seasoned and done a lot of shows and uh we always ended up rehearsing in people's houses <laughs> like uh, julie's basement was our first uh rehearsal spot and i remember also playing in phil's bedroom a lot before <laughs> the studio was built yeah there might have been a few times we actually got a rehearsal studio, but most of the time it was very homespun. Okay, L7 doing a cover of Ohio Express. Now, I, I assume you knew most of the band before L7 even existed from their kind of involvement in the scene? Uh, Jennifer Finch especially. I had known her for a few years. Also sort of Susie, uh, just from hanging out. Mm -hmm. You know, Susie and uh, Danita definitely, you know, were friends. And this was before the band really got their act together in a sense. They had a different drummer yeah. at the time. And they were just sort of starting out playing shows at Raji's. That track, I think, is one of the better ones on the record. I'm really happy with the way that came together and... Uh, the way it sounds. Yeah, I was going to say, 
I think this must be a pretty early track for the band. Um, Ann Anderson, yeah. I believe, is the drummer on that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty early lineup, I think, for Elsa. I believe it was their very first recording. Hmm. I, I could be wrong about that, but I think I think it might be. Yeah. This certainly was before they got a you know a deal with uh, Epitaph right. and did that first album, which I think was probably later that year or, or the following year. Yeah, there's a few bands on here. I I have a feeling these are like some of their first recordings. Yeah, I think that that record sort of was bringing together younger bands in LA at the time that were just sort of getting their feet wet. Yeah. Yeah. I love you being, being one of them and their cover of burn in love. Now remind me again, how Phil hooked up with, with these guys. They were from Florida, right? Phil hooked up with them at the recording of that track. Oh Uh, yeah. I don't think they had met before, but at that point in time, there was this building in Hollywood where we were sort of hanging out where friends of ours, Victor and Drizzo, who was the drummer of Red Cross at the time, uh, had an apartment in it. And he was sharing it with his friend Tate, uh, Tate Mosesian. And then uh, downstairs or upstairs, I don't remember, was the I Love You Guys. And met them through Victor. And then that sort of became a little scene, a little hang at the time. Uh, there, the, the Whitley house, where it was in this old apartment building. That, again, that was sort of like, I don't know, so much stuff had happened already musically in Los Angeles. There'd been, you know, peaks and valleys. And, you know, my first band had, had broken up. Uh, my second band was you know, getting going. There was just a lot of, uh, a lot of change going on. Mm-hmm. I think that record sort of encapsulates where things were headed at that time. Yeah. I know Phil was on the live EP, the pre Geffen EP for, um, with, I love you. Do what do you, I know? think that's the only, I love you record he played on. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think he was out of the band. He was still in the band when they got signed. Cause I remember I was, we were living together, so I remember all that. And uh, and then by the time they recorded that first album for Geffen, Phil was out. Hmm. Legend has it that there was like quite the bidding war for that band. What, do you know anything about that? Was I mean, Phil probably got a few lunches bought for him. I'm assuming. Yeah, I remember. I remember it was pretty crazy at the time. I mean, you got to understand that was L.A. You know, in, in in the peak of Guns N' Roses mania, right? right. Yeah. So there was just this kind of frenzy going on, looking for the next guns. And uh, I Love You was swept up in that. Right. And yeah, and they were just kids from Florida that had, that had moved to L.A., like so many others. Uh, the sample in this song about Elvis can heal you or whatever, do you... Did the band source that, or was that Phil? The band did that, yeah. Yeah. The band, I was from, I forget the name of the movie. Hmm. Uh, It was a doc that was out at the time. Yeah, Uh, it sounds like a real person getting interviewed or something. Yeah, Yeah. it was real. They they sampled that back before sampling became an issue. Right. (laughs) There's other samples on that record, too. Like, for example, the Revolution 409 track starts out with the very opening of uh, 
the carpenters calling occupants, mm. like the radio dial turning and right. you know the all hit radio. Yep, carpenter's voice uh, starts the record out, and that that also seemed very appropriate at the time, <laughs> for sure. Uh, the Chemical People again. I'm assuming you and and Dave Nasworthy go way back. Yeah, funny enough, I just uh, just was speaking with him the other day. Interviewed him for this documentary film that I've been working on. Is the this Bill the, the Bill Bartell? Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask you about that. Uh, yeah, he's uh, funny enough. I was just annotating his <laughs> his interview the other day. Yeah, Dave had a. Uh, Really nice kind of rehearsal studio in his garage. In his garage at his mom's house. That's where Red Cross was rehearsing, and so many bands rehearsed there. Uh, the, uh, the Chemical People. Remember, like when Shonen Knife first came to town, they were they were in there rehearsing too. I had shot some of the music video that I did for them for the song Red Cross in that space. Oh, okay. Um, and. Uh, I think the Pandoras rehearsed there, and uh, the Descendants were in there for a while. Maybe all. Dave's mom uh, was cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think that uh, having not to pay a bill for rehearsal for bands at this time was, was key. And it was a nice setup, too. Yeah, again, I, I think a pretty early track by the Chemical People. Maybe a few singles out at this point. I think so. Yeah, I think it was before they got signed, for sure. And I think, yeah, I think they had like a self-produced single or two out at the time. And uh, I think that was recorded by, or at least produced by, Bill Stevenson at yeah. that time. Yeah. And that was not recorded at Spinhead, I don't think. or Actually, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I think that was a non-Spinhead track. Project Jenny with Revolution 409. Uh, we've seen this track already on the mini plot. Were you also involved in that release or was that kind of... The mini plot was something that SST just did. Like, I think, you know, at the time, CDs were relatively new. and yeah. They were like, I remember I got a call from someone that worked there that I didn't even know who it was. At that point in time, they had hired a bunch of kids right out of college and uh, right. that small core group of people that I was used to dealing with, um, some of them were still there, but uh, SST was sort of expanding at that point. And I remember getting a call from someone, and they were describing that, uh, oh, yeah, we're going to pull a, a three-inch CD single from this to, to promote the record. Yeah, three-inch CDs are the future. They were. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, okay. Thankfully, that didn't pan out. <laughs> well... Yeah. I mean, a sort of a bizarre choice of songs too. Mm -hmm. Not if you but, not if you follow along with SST, they <laughs> Right. Well then it, I mean that was the start of the label sort of going into that era of head scratching. Yep. You know? And uh in fact this record, The Melting Plot, was pretty much my last dealings with the label. Mm-hmm if I'm not mistaken. The year before, I think, or maybe the same year, was the Painted Willie Relics release, which I sort of uh, oversaw and put together. And then this record, The Melting Plot, I do believe was the very last 
project that I did with SST. Yeah, and also the last recording that Painted Willie would do. Right. And at that point in time, Painted Willie had already sort of disbanded. I mean, Phil and I were still together, and there was talk about moving forward with another guitarist. That didn't pan out. Yeah. It was just sort of time to move on. I mean, uh, at the time, I think we just sort of um, had run our course. And then Phil hooking up with I Love You during the recording of this record sort of sealed that deal. Right. And then Phil, you know, next thing I knew was was in the band and focusing on on I Love You. It, it seems weird talking about Painted Willie. I mean, like for us, it seems like so long ago, you, you forget that all of this stuff came out in such a short period of time. I mean, we, we haven't, you know, we haven't had painted Willie on the show in what seems like ages, but as this stuff was coming out, it was, it wasn't as long as it seems like to me, if that makes sense. No, I mean, painted Willie existed from 84 to 88. So, you know, in under a four year period was the, was the lifespan of that band. Okay, speaking of something that seems like we talked about ages ago, Bruce Springsteen, or Bruce Springsteen, Shoot Me in the Dark. So this dates back to the... Bruce Springsteen. Stein, right, sorry. <laughs> um, the, that, was a, that was a holdover from the Love Doll Superstar soundtrack. Right. And yeah. I remember at the time, we were reluctant to include that on the soundtrack mm. due to obvious reasons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just a parody. It's pretty damn funny still yeah. to this day. Uh, a very straight uh, cover recording of that song, too. It's not like you know, it was played pretty true to the original. I remember we had the track in the studio, the Bruce Springsteen track, and we laid it down and then started layering on top of it. So got the drum sample in. I believe... Jim Kane did that. Yeah. And um, Paul Rossler is playing keyboards. Remember him trying to emulate that Fairlight uh, keyboard sound on that record and kind of nailing it. Uh, Vic Mikowskis was on guitar. Phil Newman was on bass. Uh, I was there for that recording. I remember that one. And, of course, Jordan Schwartz on vocals. <laughs> yeah. Shoot Me in the Dark. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad it's included on here. It made me go back and watch the the clip from the film. <laughs> I, I wanted to include it because we didn't on the, the Superstar soundtrack. And it should have been on there, but we were just trying to avoid avoid uh, litigation and uh, whatnot. A lot of that was going on at the time, too, with SST. It was just like right. kind of a minefield, right? Yeah, Like all point. stuff with yeah. Das Domin, yeah. for example, and... You know, being cease and desisted from the Michael Jackson management. Yeah, good uh, point. There was... time, <laughs> he had bought all the rights to the Beatles songs, and Das Domin were doing Beatles covers. And fun, funny enough, they do a Beatles cover on here. <laughs> um, I think at the time, uh, Das Domin had already gotten into trouble, and I think their uh, Marshmallow Conspiracy EP had already sort of been pulled right so it was kind of audacious to include that on this record um maybe it happened afterwards to be honest 
getting the details of 35 years ago I'm sure in line is, is, is kind of uh, you know yeah difficult but <laughs> as I remember it it was around the same time if not before Des Kadena doing Apesma and you recorded this uh, what what can you tell me about this recorded that uh, on the um, your recorder that I had I had just gotten 16 millimeter camera gear with a Ewer recorder um, and recorded Des reading that in the apartment that I lived in uh, at the time in West Hollywood on Rangeley with Phil Newman. And it was just one of our late night hangouts and uh, just whipped it out and uh, press record. And Des read the lyrics, which I guess was a spoken word piece, right. to Abe Small. I don't remember if there was a lyric sheet on that cap uh, on that Captain Beefheart record, or if we actually had to sit there and write it out, or maybe Des had just listened to it so many times he had it memorized. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, a little spoken word piece. Mm-hmm. There's a story there because they had to reach out to Beefheart at that time to get the okay uh-huh. to use that. And I remember being told this great quote that uh, someone, I don't even remember who it was, someone at SST, probably one of the younger college interns at the time, had reached out to him and and had to get the clearance for both the Painted Willie cover of um, Clear Spot and Dez's reading of Apes. You know, I think something was said to him like, don't you feel, aren't you happy that people are paying tribute to your work? And and he sort of retor- retorted with something <laughs> not so uh, friendly. Yeah. I wish I could remember exactly what was said, but it was, uh, you know, kind of a typical Beefheart response. To think that he was aware of that at the time is, is kind of... Uh, Amazing. No kidding. <laughs> I think that he had to ponder that. And obviously he okayed it, so um, I don't know if they had sent him the recordings and he had gotten the chance to listen to it or not. I have no idea. But uh, Yeah, I feel like you would have had to work way harder now if you were doing something like this now to get clearance from all these artists. Oh, if you were doing something like this now, it wouldn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> it just wouldn't. Yeah. It, it barely happened then. And... Uh, <laughs> Working on uh, you know music and, and at that time and doing all putting all these records out, it was just like not much thought was put into the business of any of it. It was just everything was just you know it was more of a of a lark. If you had this idea and you did it and you just put it out, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Actually going and getting clearances from the artist was a new thing for SST in 1988. Because I don't think any, I don't think that was done on previous records. Like, I don't think we went to Sweet to get the approval for Nip Driver's Fox on the Run. Right. For example. Well, I think like sampling, like hip hop sampling changed a lot of that too. Yeah, and the hip hop sampling, oh, well, the sampling laws didn't even really go in effect till the early 90s. So it was still in that period where it was free reign, where 
you could sample almost anything and get away with it. Yeah, they put the kibosh on that pretty quick. But I, that, in that period, there was a few window period, a few years window there where people got away with it. Yeah, I think like Paul's boutique has like something like it. <laughs> they've someone's counted <laughs> yeah. them. It's thousands of samples on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that record sort of took sampling to yeah super high art form yeah. for sure. Uh, and then Sonic Youth, obviously you go way back with, with Sonic Youth. Do you remember at all when you first met met the band? Funny at the time, um, it had only been a couple of years since I sort of became friends with, with them. The first time I met them, easy enough to remember because it was at that uh, Stuart Sweezy Desolation Center show in the Mojave Desert. Yeah. When Red, uh, when Red Cross played with the Meat Puppets and Sonic Youth and uh, Psychome, Perry Farrell's first band. And I, I, I remember that night, the only person in the band that I talked with was Bob Burt. Bob Burt was still in the band. Right. For like the last days of, of his being in the band. So uh, I think it was on there. I don't know if it was right after that or pretty close to after it that the band had returned and played a show at the Anti-Club. And I remember they also did a show at Club Lingerie in 85 as well. So they had done a couple smaller uh, club shows in L.A., and I think at that point in time is when I first sort of met them. Uh, how cool is it that Sonic Youth is, is covering Saccharine Trust? Well, I think when I mentioned the concept to Thurston, he was just like, he knew right away what he wanted to do. And uh, that track is also one of my favorites on the record. Yeah, that's really it's great. a pretty faithful cover of I Am Right, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. It, I mean, everything about it. I remember that uh, Jack Brewer was really excited about that at the time and, and really loved it. I think he said to me, yeah, they do it in sort of a Ramon style. And then I think we discussed that, well, yeah, basically the song could have been a Ramon song when, when you strip it down. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I was kind of surprised listening back to it that it sounded, I, I haven't listened to that that first, that to Pagan Icons in, in quite some time. And it's obviously before Saccharine Trust really developed their I don't know if you want to use the word jazz influence style to the degree that they did later on. Yeah, that was the first lineup of the band, or at least the first lineup that actually recorded uh, as a band. And that was done in 1980 over at Media Arts. Sounds right. Produced yeah. by Spock. Um, rest in peace, Spock. Yeah. Do, do you want to say anything about Spot? I know you, you and Jordan just did a tribute to him on KXLU. Um, uh, I mean, the loss of Spot was was really rough. And Spot was just, I don't even know where to begin. He, you know, above and beyond, he was just a friend. And he had just done so much in that short, again, a real short period of time. And uh, I really loved his his own recordings that he put out under various monikers. Yep. Uh, just such crazy stuff. Just an inventive person, such a, you know, 
funny personality. And to me, Spot was like, at that time, really sort of the heart and soul of what was going on over there at SST. Yeah, so so like much a of that crucial, was... A crucial player in in the whole presentation of, of all of that. He was great. We talked a little bit about the Painted Willie co- cover. That's just you and Phil. Was, was yeah, that-, that was Painted Willie sort of returning to the my fellow Americans lineup, right. which, yeah. again, was just Phil Newman and myself you know, recording like bass and drums and then Phil laying the guitar over it afterwards. And uh, if I remember correctly, there was like a, a slide guitar hmm. that somehow was in Spinhead. Must have borrowed it from someone, somewhere. A lap steel guitar. That's what I meant to say. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. A lap steel guitar that came into play on that. And somehow it was just sitting there in Spinhead one day and uh, ended up using it on this recording, the cover of uh, Captain Beefheart's Clear Spot, which is something Phil Newman and I worked uh, out together and... Uh, just sort of did it. it turned out to be the, the the very last thing that Painted Willie would would do. Right. So, yeah, send off. I, I wasn't sure if it was a like a leftover or if it was something you did. No, it was recorded specifically for this this compilation. Okay. And it was recorded in that time frame. And in fact, in fact, it was probably one of the last songs that might have been recorded for it, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, a bit of an oddity, maybe, um, as far as like a lot of these bands are, are, you know, people that you grew up with or whatever that you'd known for quite a while. How did you get to know the this Algebra Suicide group? There's a good story involved there, and it has to do with the 1986 tour that I did with, uh, that Payne and Willie did with Black Flag. Right. And on that tour, I met Joe Cole. And Algebra Suicide was a Joe Cole discovery. He found their demo tape, I believe, in the garbage can at Max Maxwell's in Hoboken. And uh, there was a lot of downtime on that tour. And I think Joe was always sort of uh, discovering things. Right. And um, his discovery of that Algebra Suicide demo cassette was was sort of key and that became something that that uh we played a lot on that tour so um i think in 87 on the last pain and willie tour when we toured the u.s by ourselves for upside downtown we met them in chicago where they lived uh lydia and don lydia who has passed away several years ago but, um, yeah, we met them in 87 and then got their contact info. And I reached out to them when I was putting this record together and ran the concept by them. And then they recorded their cover of Tales of Brave Ulysses and sent that out. And obviously not a spinhead recording. Yeah. But a great cover. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, one of the most atypical tracks also on that record. I always really liked it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm looking at the liner notes right now. Uh, <laughs> funny enough, there's photos on here, and four of them I see are represented in my new book that's 
coming out shortly that will be out by the time this airs. Oh, my new book, my new book of photography called Scenes from Inside. I was going to so, ask you about it. Yeah. I, I hadn't looked at this for years, this insert. And uh, funny to see that coincidentally, um, half of the photos used here appear in my new book. <laughs> Weird. There's no annotated listing for credits for algebra suicide on here. Oh, here it is. Uh, Algebra Suicide, Tales of Brave Ulysses, recorded at Soto Sound, mm. produced by Algebra Suicide. There you go. There you go. Soto Sound. Okay, Das Damen. We talked a little bit about their typical, um, you know, continuing their odd selection of Beatles covers. Was Das Damen really as loud as people suggest? <laughs> uh, I don't remember them being louder than say dinosaur jr at the time yeah well that's pretty but, loud uh, <laughs> yeah well dinosaur yeah. yeah god i saw dinosaur the anti-club again seeing that band in a small space at that time yeah you, <laughs> your ears were ringing yeah for days i think this recording from das Domin was part of the recording that they did for that Marshmallow Conspiracy EP, and they just did a bunch of Beatles covers. Yep. And this may have been a leftover. I, Again, I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> but that would make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, or maybe they went into the studio and recorded especially for this. I have to check with Lyle. Hell there's a new Dogs Domino release coming out. Are you aware of that? No, what is it? Uh, there's a new record coming out. Like uh, a new studio record? A new studio record made of old recordings, and I think there is a new track, because I know Des told me that he plays on it. Whoa. Des Kadena playing with Das Domin. Wow. On a new release in 2023. You you heard it here first. (laughs) That's about all the details I know of it. I know that Lyle is resurrecting his fanzine, Damaged Goods. Wow. Especially for the occasion. There will be an issue of damaged goods included in this release. All right. Well, I'll be, pump- yeah, so I'll some, be pumping Lyle not- for info right after this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know it's in the works and I know it's coming out. I wish I could tell you more about it, but uh, it's funny how there's still things on this 35 year old record that are still current in DC three. Uh, you know, Descadena uh, has a new band and, Actually, yes, he's playing in a couple bands in L.A. right now. He sort of moved back here uh, about a year ago and uh, looking after his mother. Right. But uh, he's been getting involved in, in uh, actually started this band, Dondo, with Rob Holtzman from Saccharin Trust. And also he's playing in this band, Bronson Caves, uh, with the guys from Backbiter. There's a video on YouTube. They just played a show that a benefit show here at the Redwood in LA a few weeks ago and uh, with Gaza X. And funny enough, the video of Bronson Caves is listed on YouTube as Gaza X, which <laughs> he also played the show. And I think he might have uh, joined them on stage for a song. But uh, at any ways, at any rate, uh, Bob Lee on drums and Jonathan Hall on guitar and uh, Des on guitar. Check it out. I will. Yeah, I knew about it. I'll send it to you. It was was rather good. (laughs) I knew Um, about the Dondo band. Didn't know about Bronson Cave, so that's cool. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So um, the players involved on this record are still active. Yeah. Many of them are. Many of them are, yeah. Uh, some of them are no longer with us. Yeah. The DC3 recording on here, live at Raji's, I assume it's a leftover from the sessions for their live album. Yes. Uh, Phil, recorded by Phil Newman. He, he brought the uh, the Spinhead 8-track unit out and did a mobile recording. At that time, I think Spinhead had evolved into a 24-track studio. So he was uh, able to get the 8-track gear out the door and down to Raji's. And that's particularly a really good recording of a cover of uh, Hawkwind, Masters of the Universe. Yeah. Yeah, a great recording of that. It doesn't even sound like it's recorded live. It almost it has a real studio sound for for something that was done live, especially at a place like Raji's. Yeah. Again, at the time, Raji's was pretty much in that period, eighty seven, eighty eight, one of the few clubs in LA where bands would play. So yeah, it Raji's is represented on the melting plot. Yeah. And as is D C three. And it is, I believe, the classic lineup of DC three, you know, of course, Des and Paul and uh, producer Caesar was on bass, Louis Defoe on drums, rest in peace. Yep. Hell cows, shorten and bread. How did you get to know these guys? Hell cows was a Portland band, and they were friends with a friend of mine from Portland, a filmmaker uh, Stephen Downton, who actually made a film that's just been released in the last year go way back with steve and hellcows were friends with steve and uh that's how i sort of hooked up with them and it's funny their their cover of shortening bread is the only song on the record that sounds like it could have been on our 1982 release uh party go home mm, yeah which which uh is a collection of 40 songs under a minute <laughs> well, mostly like hardcore stuff yeah there's like other weird stuff on there too, on that party go home record. But I always thought like the Hell Cows track on this record was sort of hearkening back to something that you would have found on that on that compilation, which was the first compilation that I myself and Jordan Schwartz were involved in putting together back in the earlier part of the eighties, which seemed like so far removed from the later part of the eighties. By the time the late eighties was sunk in there you know it was just such a different world but now when you look at it it's just a short span of time mm -hmm. but yep situations couldn't have been more different in just that few year period spread of a lot of change john press who's john press john press was an old friend from santa monica we uh, went to school together and he was in this band the patriots who released one seven NCP uh, Land of the Free, I believe it's called, early 80s hardcore. Their seven inch was produced by Spit Sticks from Fear. Okay. And I know that's sort of a sought after record and sort of a collectible record that people pay a lot of money for these days, that Patriots EP. Yeah, John was a drummer in the Patriots uh, and, and a few other bands too. What? Again, that was something that was just sort of a, I believe I recorded that again with my Ewer recorder. 
that uh, I was using for my 16 millimeter films that I was shooting in that period, like the, the stoner parks and so forth. So I had that recorder, uh, reel to reel quarter inch. And I believe I recorded that on that as well. So two recordings on this that I did myself, sort of field recordings. And that's Kim Pilkington on the answering machine. Yeah. We hear a snippet of Kim Pilkington talking to her dad. And then there's a snippet of, uh, Herb Lanau on there. Oh, cool. And another girlfriend. And uh, yeah, just editing in bits of random stuff. Dark side. Dark side. Yeah. Correct. Uh, I, Herb was one of the first people that we uh, knew from, from the Palm Springs mm-hmm. scene, along with Mario Lolly and, and uh, his brother Larry and Gary R.C., when we went out there to film the Freedom School scene for Love Doll Superstar in 1985, all those guys met us out, and all, they all played the extras of the kids uh-huh. at the Freedom School. Yeah. And, of course, all these people would be instrumental in the forming the forming of that whole desert rock scene. Absolutely. That was on the horizon and coming. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Dark Side evolved into i mean members of you know i guess scott reader who will go on to be in caius of course okay the next track i want to talk about um i feel like it's a bit of an anomaly on here in the sense that i you can correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like erections are glamorous by brewer tendencies is the only original on the album it's actually a cover uh, of uh, of a band a short-lived band out of long beach is it the final uh, tour, guys? Listen to the introduction. If you listen to the introduction, uh, it's sort of a giveaway. Hmm. Final tour guides. So it's just a cover of a band, of an obscure band that I don't think ever recorded or put anything out, but was in Jack Brewer's universe. And he chose that song to cover. To me, on that track, it sounds like Kim Gordon is singing backups. Hmm. It's not Kim. Um, it sounds like Kim. Okay, well, I did a little sleuthing, and I, I think I have it right then. So Ray, Ray Vogelzang, of, later of Swamp Zombies, is on bass, and Ed, Ed Huarta is on drums, Rich Ford on guitar, Jack Brewer on mm-hmm. vocals. Ed and Ray, I think, were both in the final tour guides. I think that rings true. And then, again, hearkening back to um, the Desperate Teenage Love Dolls era, we've got Stairway to Heaven by Led Cross, which I just love <laughs> the name of the band. Again, how, many, uh, how many pseudonyms can you dream of? Yeah. Um, again, that was something that should have been on the soundtrack album for the first Love Dolls film soundtrack. It should have been on there, but wasn't. So included on here uh, as an afterthought. Right. As a continuum, as, as a way to document that and finally get a release okay well obviously we know Stephen mcdonald who plays on it bob hecker i'm assuming is robert robert hecker yeah and then glenn holland he's credited as bob really yeah yeah uh the silly things we did yeah Uh, (laughs) glenn holland the only glenn holland i could find was in a christian rock band 441 is this is it the same glenn holland Probably. Uh, I know that he was in bands before and after. Hmm. 
he was the guy that had the big puffy hair. Like he looked like a Sunset Strip guy. Like total could have been in any of those bands. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Probably as, the same. It's Jeff, Jeff McDonald uh, of Red Cross described it as a Q-tip because yeah. their hair looked like giant Q-tip. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, Glenn was was one of those guys, and then I think. I think he stayed musically active. I, 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 I'm not really sure. He was in Red Cross briefly. He plays drums on the Red Cross tracks and the Love Dolls tracks on Love Doll Superstar. Yeah. So that uh, makes sense if it was coming from that era for sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the cover art. Um, Tate Mosesian, who came in on that whole uh, I Love You scene, lived in that building in Hollywood that I mentioned earlier. Is it a watercolor? You know, I think it was ink. Maybe an ink watercolor combo. The date on it is 7-11-88. So this is obviously right after we'd finished putting the record together. And we needed a cover. And Tate was an artist. And uh, asked him to put something together. I gave him some photos. Some of these are recognizable yeah. scenes from the Love Dolls films. Yeah, it's great cover um, art, especially the lettering. The back cover photo is an accidental double exposure that was shot during the making of Stoner Park. And you see a lot of people in that photo that were a part of this record and a part of that time. I see Abby Travis. I see the Das Domin guys. I see Tate Mosasian right there. That's Tate. Okay. Uh, Des Kadena, Steve Doughton, who I mentioned earlier, is on the far left. Dave Childs, who was in Lawndale. Um, Abby Travis, Steve Housen from Lawndale. Joe Cole. Joe Cole right there. Wow. Um, yeah, this was shot during the filming of, of Stoner Park. Okay. Stoner Park being an actual park in West Los Angeles called Stoner Park. <laughs> That's not the stoner nickname for it? <laughs> no, the park is actually called Stoner Park. It, it, it was. It sounds like a nickname, yeah. but the legit name for the park is Stoner Park. That's amazing. Uh, is that photo going to be in your, in your book, Scenes from Inside? This photo, the back cover photo, is not. So you mentioned the, the book is going to be out by the time this episode comes out. I'm assuming so. It's going to be out in a few weeks. Yeah. The pre-sale order is up now, but that's no good pumping that because by the time this airs, that, that'll be all over. But uh, uh, Where can people find it? I link it off of my page. My page is on Facebook and my website. We got Power Films. If you can go to the main page and just click on the image, it will take you to a link to order. But the book is... Uh, it's nice. It's it's not only is it a really great overview of of my work, it, it's really good just window to my world mm -hmm. in, in in a really kind of personal way. I, I'm really really stoked about it, and I think uh, yeah, it it documents just about fifty years of of stuff that I was doing. Wow. Starting as a really young kid, starting making films and taking photos in the early 70s. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. Yeah. It so, seems like so many amazing photo books came out of the pandemic. 
people just going through shoe boxes under their beds and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I you know, um, I was approached to do this book. I didn't have the idea to do it, and it was sort of worked on over the last year. So really, post pandemic. But uh, yeah, it's it's more inclusive to my body of work than say the We Got Power book was, which that focuses on the early eighties. This goes from the seventies to more or less present time. Amazing. And you briefly mentioned the Bill Bartell documentary. What's the, can you tell me the status of that? Uh, Still working on it, still plugging away, Uh, real slow to, to move. Um, we're almost done shooting interviews. There's a handful of key interviews that we need to get before we can put the film to bed. So we're just patiently trying to make that happen. Working on getting a a trailer together at the moment. What else are you working on? Working on, uh, in pre-production right now for music video for Divine Horseman. Oh, wow. They got a new record coming out on uh, in the Red Records. Can't wait. <laughs> We're getting all the uh, speaking like what you said about you know Again, so, all, so many of these people still going right. Yeah, it, it it's all sort of interrelated, yeah. and uh, there, there's a lineage there. There's a history there. Yeah, I did a flesh eaters video a few years ago too for uh, Miss Muerte. Oh yeah, yeah. So I'd worked with Chris before. uh... right on Dave thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today I I really do appreciate it sure thanks for having me take care thanks you too all right awesome thanks so much Dave for joining us on the Mojack show again and telling us all about the melting plot what a wild record right it's the like the movie that never was but should have been maybe maybe I don't know I feel like it should have been it would have been I don't know what the plot was, but I but but I'm fully in. Yeah, like you mentioned, we also got a, a bit of a primer for this release on episode two thirty four, the mini plot EP, where we had mm-hmm. Jennifer Schwartz on as a guest. Like I said before the interview, there's some artists on this comp we've seen before, some new to the show. Much of it was recorded at Painted Willie bassist Phil Newman's Spinhead Studios which we've seen countless times on the show, including last episode on the Screaming Trees Buzz Factory episode. The record came out in 1988, guessing sometime in the fall. The tracks were recorded at Spinhead, according to the liners, um, March through July of 88. Somewhere in that time. So, you know, just judging by how quickly they got these things out, I'm guessing sometime in the fall. Came out on CD, LP, and cassette. And if you don't own it, the whole thing is up on YouTube for people to hear. Is it in the SST catalog, Ryan? Or are you ready to get to these tracks? It is in the SST catalog. Shall I? Yeah, hit me. All right, here we go. Michael Whitaker, the spaceman, from the SST catalog on The Melting Plot. Place 16 bands in a large cauldron. Part Lead Cross, Sonic Youth, Dos Domin, and then some... Toss in 18 songs from the past 20 years, Boogie Fever, Hotel California, Stairway to Heaven, SOS, etc., and stir constantly over high heat. Yield the melting plot. SST 249, LP, cassette, and CD. Mm-hmm. By the Spaceman, who was marginally involved in this release. Oh, yeah. 
All right, let's get to these tracks. History Lesson, Part 2. Track 1, Side 1, Crazy Horses, written by Alan Merrill and Wayne Osmond, performed by Revolution 409, which is Red Cross. This is the lineup that came after Neurotica in 1987 and went on to record Third Eye in 1990. Steve McDonald on bass, Jeff McDonald on vocals, Robert Hecker on guitar, Robert was in the band prior to this, and Vic Indrizzo on drums. Long association with Dave Markey. We saw them both on both of the movie soundtracks, credited as Red Cross on those, and also in actors in, in both of the films. We saw this track also on the mini plot. I was watching some wild footage of the Osmonds performing this on TV in the 70s, wearing these matching white Elvis Vegas style jumpsuits. Yeah, yeah. One of them was lip synced, but check the footage of them performing it live at the Beat Club in Germany in 1972. Like they're performing it. It's not lip synced. It's so killer. Um, and there's also footage of Red Cross performing it live in 2019 uh, with Jeff and Steve kind of trading off vocals, just like the Osmonds and Steve's even wearing a white suit, kind of yeah. like what they're wearing in the, in that video. Yeah. Well, Steve wears that type of get up playing for the Melvins too these days. Yeah. Uh, the next song is SOS written by Benny Anderson, Stig Anderson, Bjorn Ovias. Uh, Bjorn and Benny are the two main, or were the two main songwriters in ABBA. Benny mainly as a keyboardist in the group and Bjorn as guitarist. Stig wasn't in the band. He was the manager, but also a songwriter and producer, kind of the fifth member. Uh, Benny and Bjorn are the B's in ABBA and their name is an acronym for the four primary members' first names. And they were, it was made up of two married couples. Uh, the Swedish group ABBA won the Eurovision Song Contest in 1974 with the song Waterloo and rose to become superstars. SOS was the fifth single from their third album, 1975 self-titled record. It's the only U.S. Hot 100 track where the song title and the name of the group are both palindromes. SOS Ooh. and ABBA. Wow, yeah. what a neat factoid. <laughs> And here's another one I found. Glenn Matlock has said that he was inspired to write the main riff to Pretty Vacant when he heard this song, SOS, on a jukebox. Wow, really? You can kind of hear it when you listen to it. That that one is actually interesting. Yeah. <laughs> my mom loved ABBA, so they were like a staple in my house as a kid. Um, so the band that covers this is Celebrity Skin. A glammy L.A. band, super interesting and somewhat murky history. Um, they looked amazing. We'll be posting some photos of them on our Instagram. As Dave mentioned, they kind of grew out of Vagina Dentata, which I'm certain we've talked about probably on our Ruth and Smear episode. Um, that's the band Pat Smear formed post-Germs, or I think kind of while the Germs were still going, but don't quote me on that, uh, with Michelle Bell, a.k.a. Gerber, on vocals, Tim Ferriss on bass, and Gary Jacoby on drums. I know we've talked about Gary before. He was also in Twisted Roots for a time. He and Pat had the Death Folk duo with two records on New Alliance Records. And we'll see him again on the show on episode 294, Pat Smears' So You Fell in Love with a Musician. When Vagina Dentata split up, Gary and Tim recruited Robert Haas of this band Endless Banana. 
<laughs> on guitar <laughs> and Jason Shapiro of verbal abuse on second guitar. And, uh, they, they formed this band. Um, Jason here is credited as Jason Hale, and that's his middle name, I believe, Hale. Now, Gary is the vocalist in Celebrity Skin, and after a string of drummers, former Germs Vox Pop 45 Grave drummer Don Bowles joined the band, and this is the lineup that recorded this track, and I believe it was their first recording. After this, there were more lineup changes, a killer full length on Triple X that I know I've talked about for sure on the show before. And they kind of developed this legendary, insane stage show with costumes and props. And some of the props apparently saw them banned from like every club in Hollywood. Ish. Yeah. On this song, for me, they definitely have the controlled chaos, tipsy gypsy vibe going on. It's not all perfectly in tune and all the playing isn't note or pitch perfect, but I love it that way. This, to me, sounds like how Alice Cooper would have covered this song. Mm. I love it exactly how it is. Um, and you'd never know that they spent like 12 days or whatever Dave says yeah. tracking it. <laughs> and tracked by the Spaceman as well. R.I.P. Okay, the next one is Yummy Yummy. And, and this one's by Arthur Resnick and Joey Levine of 60s pop group The Third Rail. Arthur came out of the Brill Building office of songwriters he wrote under the boardwalk and good lovin this song was written for the mansfield ohio bubblegum group the ohio express joey levine wasn't in the group but the demo he recorded with himself doing guide vocals was the version they ended up using like when you hear yummy 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 that's the joey levine demo version it was oh wow it was meant to just show the band um the demo like none of them play on that or a lot of their other stuff. They were like a, you know, an early boy band, this Ohio Express. That song, his demo ended up becoming a huge worldwide hit. Um, the Cars famously borrowed the opening chords for Just What I Needed. And if mm -hmm. you listen to those two back to back, you can totally hear it. Yeah. Um, the version here is by L7. LA rock band, active 85 uh, to 2000 and then reactivated in 2014. If you haven't seen the documentary on the band Pretend We're Dead, it's amazing. Formed by guitarist vocalist Danita Sparks and guitarist Susie Gardner, who also did some vocals, soon bringing in bassist Jennifer Finch and Ron Kautsky on drums. Ron left in 1988 to be re replaced by Ann Anderson, and that's the lineup represented here. I'm guessing their debut full length on Epitaph was already out by this point because Roy played drums on that record and Anne was only in the band for a year maybe and maybe less than a year and then Dee Placus joined and the classic lineup was formed of the band. Not 100% certain, but pretty sure this is the only recording with Anne on drums. Mm, yeah, maybe. This song has just got some ultra snarl. Oh, Yeah. This is kind of like, you know, their, their signature sound, their early, their, you know, their total fuzz fest kind of what became L7 signature sound, I would say. Yeah. I listened to the original. I listened to all of these originals and man, is this song awful? Yummy, yummy, yummy or whatever. Yummy. The yummy, original? Yummy. Yeah, it's awful. Oh God. Yeah. Why yeah. was it a hit? It's just, <laughs> it's just gross. Yeah. This track is also on L7's rarities comp, Fast and Frightening. 
uh, on the always reliable Easy Action Records if you want to hear it. And this one, the best part for me is like the double time noisy ending that they do. Um, I think this is the first and only time we'll, we'll see L7 on, on SST. Could be wrong about that, but I don't think we'll see him again. Although we have seen Susie Gardner on mm-hmm. the cover of the Worm Feast album and also on the Black Flag song Slip It In. Um, she was dating Chuck at the, at the time, I believe, that Slip It In was recorded. The next one is Burn in Love, written by Dennis Lind. He was a Nashville songwriter, mainly country, but this kind of became his biggest hit when Elvis recorded it in 1972, his final top 10 hit. I read when I was researching this that Conan O'Brien would often perform this song with the show's band, like he would sing it to warm warm up the studio audience before before the taping their show. Oh yeah. I I went searching to see if there was any footage of that, hoping that there would be and unfortunately there wasn't, but I ended up watching Elvis's Aloha from Hawaii performance of it. And I mean it's Elvis, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little sweaty, huh? Yeah, a little sweaty. Um this band, I Love You, were for sure talked about before on the show. Um the four of them were formed out of the ashes of Florida punk band Sinful Pigeons, Ryan. <laughs> Yeah. Which is a hilariously awful name. (laughs) (laughs) Found some video footage of them playing a song called Desolate Dude in 1986. I'm talking Sinful Pigeon here. And then a video from a reunion show in 2007 of like, I love you slash Sinful Pigeon. There's also a Bandcamp page I found called Orlando Punk Archive where you can hear this 1986 comp called adult motel and there's a pretty killer sinful pigeon song on it called scary mega it's kind of like almost early metallic hardcore and like it it's hardcore with like a a metal bent to it and crossover not crossover just like i don't know i don't know how to describe it lots of palm muting no it's just (laughs) you can tell they were into metal too you know okay i think it's like before crossover existed and and there's another track on there called she's an animal both are pretty good uh really cool vocals uh the original members of i love you and i assume sinful pigeon aaron rubin on bass elliot crawford on drums jeff nolan on guitar and christopher palmer on vocals or as he's credited here christopher roisland uh same guy as far as i can tell um Aaron Rubin left after this was recorded, I think, and that's when Phil Newman joined. Possibly a different drummer, hard to tell, and that's when they recorded that live EP for Medusa Records that we've we've talked about before with Phil Newman on bass. Um, and then they changed out the rhythm section again, and that's when they signed to Geffen for two albums. I've heard that live EP. It's cool. I have not heard the Geffen albums, but I, I need to remedy that ASAP. Looks like original bassist Aaron Rubin, uh, when he left, went on to play in the Mr. T experience and Ryan, Sam I Am. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, He's on the albums Clumsy and You Are Freaking Me Out. Classics. Yeah. Coincidentally, the drummer for some of that era, including on Clumsy, is Victor and Drizzo. Mm -hmm. And 
Aaron is currently in uh, this Oakland band, Bye Bye Blackbirds, this kind of rootsy power pop band. I was checking them about, out a bit, and they're great. I'll be tracking some of their releases down. Couldn't find any info on what, if anything, the other I Love You members did following their split, uh, which is too bad because they're all amazing musicians, as is definitely in evidence on this track. Mm-hmm. It's pretty. It's a pretty ripping cover, especially the lead guitar from Jeff Nolan. Um Love the samples at the start and in, and at the end of the song. What'd you yeah. think of Burn and Love, Ryan? I thought it was good. It's not my favorite on the record, though. Yeah. Okay, well, the next one is It's Not Unusual, written by Gordon Mills and Leslie Reed. Leslie Reed was an English songwriter who often partnered up with Gordon Mills, among others. He co-wrote around 60 chart-topping songs, but this is one of his most enduring written uh, with Tom Jones's manager, Gordon Mills. Uh, Gordon Mills also managed Engelbert Humperdinck and Gilbert O'Sullivan um, and wrote for all three of them and many others. And he's also credited with naming all these guys, like giving them their stage names. Oh my God. Like he had a talent for coming up with names like Engelbert Humperdinck. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I I wonder if he was the guy that told him to rock the stash. Maybe, hey? Yeah. Hey guys, hey, so here's your name. Now, here's your next move. Rock the stash. Yeah. Well, I think everybody was rocking the stash back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Tom Jones version of this song is obviously, you know, totally ubiquitous. Um, two things worth mentioning that came to mind. There's a fantastic scene in Bruce McDonald's film Highway 61 where Art Berkman, who plays burned out rocker Otto, Uh, where they're running around his mansion with guns trying to kill a chicken with this song just blasting over top. Mm -hmm. Can't hear the song without thinking of that scene. And also, I have to mention, DOA covered it on a single for Alternative Tentacles in 1993. True, yeah. I have to say, I mean, I am a huge Chemical People fan. You know that. I'm a huge Chemical People fan. This is not one of my favorite Chemical People songs. Like, I kind of find it as find it to be like a throwaway for me there are just so many other chemical people songs that are amazing this just doesn't come close for me yeah but but i mean it's nice to hear the chemical people on uh, on sst yeah uh so i'll give a little background on chemical people formed in la in 1986 dave nasworthy on drums ed ehrlich on bass jamie pina on guitar and blair job on vocals they released a single in 86 uh when i i assume it was more of just a Dave Naz project at that point. Dave on bass and guitar, Robert Hecker on guitar, Brian Corrigan on drums, and Blair Job on guitar and vocals. Not sure exactly how, to, how it played out, but he's on side one, Blair is, of um, their 1988 debut for Cruise, So Sexist. Um, that's Cruise 002. And then Dave took over for, on vocals, and he's on side two, or side uh, Blair and side Dave as they're hmm. as they're written on the on the record. Um, the band has a long and interesting history, but I won't go into it here too much. Hope to get into it when we dip into the cruise catalog, which I'm getting increasingly excited o- about doing. At any rate, that's the lineup here. Uh, and f- for some time after Dave, Ed, and Jamie, um, the lineup represented here are kind of the core of the chemical people produced by Bill Stevenson, as was much of their output, and he's also on backing vocals. 
And also, unless I say otherwise, it was done at Spinhead. So that's where this was tracked and everything we've heard so far. Um, which, you know, you would have thought this was maybe would have been done at Third Wave because that's where Bill was working out of. At least all the Bill Stevenson produced stuff we've seen was all, I think, done at Third Wave. It might have been, you know, they've got time to track at Spinhead for this proj. Bill, chemical people, get down here. You've got four hours. Yeah. You know, it might just have been that. Yeah. Like you said, it's an all right version, but like, I don't know. I feel like this, in this era, when this came out, the notion of punk bands kind of doing ironic or tongue in cheek covers was still unique. It was like, it kind of got overdone later on, I would say. I would agree. Yeah. This is early on in that, in that yeah. stage. Yeah. And there, well, there was a sweet spot too. There was a moment in time, like when I was going through my comps, and I'm like, oh, okay, there's some really, really cool throwback punk band cover records. And then it just yeah. got like zillions of them, you know? Oh, and it kind of became a thing where all the fat records bands had to have a, had to have a sped up, I don't know, like a pop song cover. Like on each record? Yeah. Yeah, there was a bit of that yeah. for sure. All right, the next one is Boogie Fever, written by Frederick Perrin and Kenneth Lewis. Not going to go too deep into this. We heard it on the mini plot episode. Uh, these guys wrote a bunch of Motown disco and, and uh, funk hits, including this one performed by originally LA R&B Soul Family, The Silvers, performed here by Project Jenny with Revolution 409. That's Jennifer Tiffany Schwartz on lead vocals, uh, backed by Red Cross. This was our ballot result pick for the mini plot mm -hmm. episode. It's great. You, bet, you betcha. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some rapping. Yeah. In this song. This is like, I don't know. Was there any rapping in on SST before this song? I can't think of any. Yeah, I can't. I can't really think of any, but maybe. All right. The next one is Shoot Me in the Dark. Written, uh, <laughs> it's credited to Bruce Springsteen and Bruce Springsteen. Uh, this was the original one was the first single released from the boss um, for on his 1984 mega hit album born in the USA one of his first tracks to use a synthesizer uh, it spent four weeks at number two on the billboard chart his highest charting single to date if you can believe that wow I yeah. can't believe it didn't go to one I know um, when they were tracking the album born in the USA his manager John Landu convinced him that the album needed a single and he stayed up all night in his hotel room writing this song, and they recorded recorded the next day. Um, this version is taken from the 1986 Dave Markey film Love Doll Superstar with Jordan Schwartz on vocals. If you haven't seen the clip for a while or you've never seen it, check it out on YouTube. You can just watch that clip of the movie. It's It exists on YouTube as a standalone clip. They re recreate a scene kind of from the original video where a woman gets on stage and does a, like a <laughs> cheesy, cheesy 80s high school dance with Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yeah. Which I also saw videos like sometimes he does that in concert, like grabs a woman out of the crowd and they, and they do that dance or whatever. Bruce Springsteen? Yeah. Like to this song? Yeah, yeah. Like, like to this day? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um... I can't believe Born in the USA, the song, didn't go to number one. Yeah, I know, hey? Wow. Or even like uh, Glory Days and some of those songs. Is it, that's off of the same record? Mm, is it? I don't know. I'm not a big Bruce Springsteen fan. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that that's what I read. 
that this was his heart, highest charting song, which is wow. hard, hard to believe. It must have been up against like Michael Jackson for yeah. that month, and he was screwed. Well, right? yeah, Thriller did come out in '84, and yeah, yeah, that must have been it. Like there was just no moving it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they they recreate this dance with Bruce Springsteen, but then it all goes horribly wrong when Jeff McDonald <laughs> bursts in, like in Gene Simmons makeup and. Uh, there's just carnage ensues. I believe I w- probably asked Jordan all about this when he was on the show back on episode 70. I hope I did anyways. Um, like Dave says, I'm happy they included it here since it's not on the original soundtrack. Uh, the cool thing about it is how, uh, you know, as Dave explains, they layered it over the original to try and recreate it as closely as possible, right down to like the cheesy synth sounds, that, courtesy of Paul Rossler. Yeah. yeah. I love this song. I yeah. love it. I just, I just howl with laughter when I hear it every yeah. time. It's so great. Jordan's delivery is just clap, like it's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it, it, I love it so much. It can't be my ballot result, but I love it. I just love it. Yeah, it's cool. Um, Apes Ma, uh, written by Don Van Vliet, aka Captain Beefheart. Not gonna go into Beefheart too much. We've talked about him tons on the show. Major influence on so many of the artists on SST, um, and on the SS tree, technically. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone listening, I'm sure, knows who Captain Beefheart is. Um, this is a spoken word piece released on his 1978 album Shiny Beast Bat Chain Puller. A bit of a comeback album at the time, mm-hmm. uh, due to a legal dispute. Uh, there were two versions of the album. Apesma is on both of them, the last track. Um, it was a field recording done by Don at home. And also like a field recording here. It was recorded by Dave. Um, it's pretty much identical to Beefheart's version. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of of uh, Des Kadena, if I didn't say that, this is done by Des Kadena. Um, Dave mentions his Bronson Caves band. In the interview, yeah, um, right. They just so I I checked out this YouTube video that he talks about. It's from their very first show that they just played last month at the Redwood in L.A. And there's footage on of it on YouTube. Dezo, Paul Rossler, uh, this total shredder, Jonathan Hall from uh, this band Backbiter and the Freaks, a bunch of other bands. Bob Lee on drums, who's played with everyone: Backbiter, Clawhammer, Crawlspace, Black Gang with Watt, tons more. Uh, Heath C- Seifert on bass, uh, who was also in Backbiter, and uh, he's also in a newer band with Jonathan Hall called The Magnet Heart that sound really cool. Need to dig dig deeper into The Magnet Heart. Uh, They have a 2019 album called Complicated Cats I briefly checked out. Um, Sounds right up my alley. Just based on the YouTube footage, they sound likely similar to Backbiter or The Freaks. Riffy, psychedelic, 70s vibe, almost like Deep Purple, Hawkwind, definitely up Des and Paul's alley. Um, plenty of opportunities for Paul to go off on some like John Lord style soloing. Like Dave mentions in this video, they're joined on stage for one song by Giza X and they just tear through his all-time classic Isotope Soap. So check that <laughs> out, Bronson Caves. And then we end side one with I Am Right Goofy Mix. This is the jacked up remix of Sonic Youth's cover of the Saccharine Trust song, I Am Right. It's a short 35 seconds. We heard it on the mini plot. Wasn't long after this, they started releasing stuff on their own label, Goofin Records, 
which was a mash mashup of Goo and Geffen. I don't know why I'm pointing that out. I guess whenever I see Goofy Mix, it, it made me think of, of Goofin. Goofin Records? I guess so, yeah. All right, flipping it over. We've got I Am Right, written by Jack Brew and Joe Biza. Uh, this is like the proper version of that song. Mm-hmm. Um, Sacron Trust, obviously. I Am Right from SST 006, 1981's Pagan Icons. Probably mentioned this on the on the mini plot episode, but that was our ballot result pick all those years back when we were, when, wow. we, when we were what Ryan, uh, prepubescent greener than goose shit was the answer we were looking for. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, we've covered both saccharine Ch- trust and sonic youth extensively on the show. Everyone listening knows both bands. So I'll spare you a spiel about them. What I will do is point out that this was recorded at Wharton tier studio in New York and known by many different names, such as Fun City, Wharton's Palace of Confusion, and we had Wharton on as a guest on episode 155 mm-hmm. for Master Dick. And I'm wondering if this track wasn't possibly recorded at the same time as Beat on the Brat that came out on that Master Dick record. Yeah, possibly. I'm I'm sure they had easy access to Wharton's studio and could go in anytime they wanted, so who knows. Um, it's a suitably garage garagey recording sounds totally live in the studio cool cover choice great song um great lyrics trash can jazz man really was a has-been mm-hmm. it's a great mashup of sonic youth sounding like sonic youth doing a saccharine trust song that still sounds like saccharine trust it's yeah. great yeah the next one clear spot another Beefheart cover this time it's the title track from his seventh studio album, 1972's Clear Spot. I was reading up on the album a bit. I'm sure this is well known to Beefheart diehards like yourself, Ryan, but this was seen as his attempt to make more of a commercial album following the critical acclaim of Trout Mask, Mask Replica, which didn't really translate to record sales. Um, so he hired the production team of Ted Templeman and Don Landy. Uh, who would already were getting big attention, having worked with the Doobie Brothers and Van Morrison. Um, among many other things, they went on to work with Van Halen throughout much of the 80s. Mm. Painted Willie, we've seen a number of times. Uh, so again, I won't go into them here. Everyone listening, I'm assuming, knows who Painted Willie is. I'll just point out uh, what Dave said in the interview. In a way, this track is he and Phil going back to kind of the roots of the band. And that that first EP that you mentioned at the start of the episode, the 1984 EP, My Fellow Americans, pre-Vic McCuscus and also pre-vocalist Nick Delaney, uh, who was in the band briefly. Dave and Phil recorded this as a duo. It's Dave on vocals. Again, great choice for Painted Willie. Not yeah. easy to do a Beefheart cover that passes muster. This one does. Great solo from Phil and great vocal from Dave. Yeah, I loved it. It's yeah. a great cover. It's a great cover. And Clear Spot is a great record too. It has some of the best and most accessible Beefheart tracks on it while still being really, really, really weird. Yeah. Like people forget how crazy even the most mainstream Beefheart stuff was. For sure. When you when you think about it. Yeah. But this this also has probably one of the most famous Beefheart tracks on it because it was on the uh, Big Lebowski soundtrack. Her eyes are a blue million miles. Mm-hmm. That's probably his fame, most famous song, I would say. And uh, it's a great record. 
so cool to have Painted Willie really do the captain justice on this track for me. Yeah. All right, the next one is Tales of Brave Ulysses, written by Eric Clapton and Martin Sharp for Cream, uh, although it was sung by bassist Jack Bruce. It was released first as a B-side to the Strange Brew single in 1967, and then on parent album Disraeli Gears a few months later. Supposedly, it is one of the earliest recorded tracks with a wah pedal. Really? Yeah. Wow. Martin Sharp was an Australian artist um, who created the cover art for the for the Disraeli Gears record, as well as for the follow-up Wheels of Fire. Um, when Cla- Clapton met him, Martin told him he had a poem he thought would make a good make good song lyrics, and Clapton turned it turned that poem into this song. Hmm. So the band Algebra Suicide. First of all, super cool story about how Joe Cole found their cassette tape in a trash can at a venue on the 86 tour, pr- undoubtedly trying to get a gig and some promoter just tossed their cassette into the trash. They were a Chicago couple, active 82 to 94, with five studio releases, a couple live albums and some singles. Lydia Tom Q was a poet connected to the early Chicago punk scene. She met guitarist and future husband Don Hodecker, uh, when she went to see his, his band Trouble Boys perform. He started to back her up on guitar and when she did poetry readings and that, and that kind of morphed into Algebra Suicide. I had never listened to them previous uh, to this week. I'm sure I've seen the name around, but not even sure about, um, you know, even that. Um, super primitive drum machines, like Early Suicide or something like that. Stripped back instrumentation, definite post-punk influence. Uh, What makes it stand out is Lydia's poetry, both the words themselves, but also her delivery. It's pretty deadpan, totally reminds me of one of my favorite new bands, Dry Cleaning, and their vocalist, Florence Mm. Shaw. I need to get into more Algebra Suicide for sure. It's really good. And also check out Don's band, The Pocaholics. It's a punk band that plays traditional polka songs, Huge departure from Algebra Suicide, but that's what he did um, post-Algebra Suicide. For me, this song, I've never been a huge Cream fan or a fan of this song in particular. I I just never liked it. I did go through kind of an obsessive Clapton phase, but it was more about Derek and the Dominoes and his early 70s solo albums. But he's such a turd of a man that I've kind of lost interest. Um. This is a cool cover, perfect for this band since the lyrics came from a poem and and Lydia was a poet. Great guitar sound too, that post-punk Keith Levine thing, just dialed, um, obviously not recorded at Spinhead. The next one, Wild Honey Pie, Lennon-McCartney, actually written by Paul McCartney, but similar to Jagger Richards, they had an Mm. agreement to co-credit everything, which I think was, it's funny, they do, artists do these things to like, Keep peace in the Keep valley. peace, but I think it ends up having the opposite effect sometimes, you know? Well, to the people who aren't Lennon-McCartney, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Well, even them, you know, wanting individual songwriting credit or whatever. Um, how can it How can it be Lennon-McCartney on this record when I wrote nine of them myself? Yeah, exactly. This is the album this came off of is the White Album is kind of when the tension, I think, really started between Lennon-McCartney, actually. Um, 
and probably one of the reasons it was a double album is they're both just writing an insane amount of songs. Um, they were also getting into like spiritualism, meditation, psychedelic drugs, and studio experimentation. Mm. Hence this song. Paul is the only Beatle on the track, and supposedly they were going to exclude it, but George Harrison's wife, soon to be Eric Clapton's actually, Patty Boyd, liked it, so they kept it on. Hence the turd of a man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's done here uh, by the Das Domin dudes. Again, I'm not going to go into Das Domin, uh, but if you recall, they also recorded the White Album track, Why Don't We Do It in the Road? Mm-hmm. for the melting plot, kind of an exclusive track for that episode. And I'll also apologize to Doss Dahman, our listeners, and to Dave. Last, or two weeks ago on our episode, I said something about a new Doss Dahman record, thinking it was Jack and Dino who mentioned it, but it was it was Dave Markey. It was Dave. Yeah, yeah I got my... Several listeners messaged me to ask what the hell I was talking about. I, I just got my interviews mixed up. I pretty much interviewed Jack and Dave back to back and just got confused. At any rate. Forgiveness. It, forgiveness. Yeah. And speaking of forgiveness, I think you mentioned that Why Don't We Do It In The Road was on the melting plot, but it was on the mini plot. Sorry. Right? Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, at any rate, it's exciting that Das Dahman has uh, a new project and uh, when it's announced or when Lyle gives us the go-ahead, we'll talk about it some more. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to hear who's in the band, and I, I hope I get to see them live, and I hope it's super loud. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be loud. That's guaranteed. If you've been following along with uh, the Do- with Doss Dahman's Beatles covers, this makes total sense. Um, they also covered Beatles parody band The Ruddles, uh, with the track Piggy in the Middle on the Shimmy Disc Ruddles oh, tribute yeah. album, Ruddles Highway Revisited. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, every time that comes up, I got to watch that movie. Let's yeah. rot. Let's yeah. rot, man. All right. Shorten and Bread, a traditional song. It's a folk song dating back to the 1890s. It was a plantation song. Uh, the best known version of it, for me anyways, that I'm aware of is The Cramps off of Stay St- Sick, where Lux just goes totally berserk full psycho yep full psycho on that just one. doing those big gasps for air and stuff <laughs> <laughs> um hell cows were a portland art band uh some I've, i saw them compared to butthole surfers the fall beef heart half japanese avant-garde no wave they kind of got described as a lot um they kind of had one studio album 1988's toothless yep to me, always sound like sounded more like something Mike Patton might do, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the group was Eric Stodic on guitar, Carl Anala on bass. I'm sorry if I'm butchering these names, everybody. Mike King on drums, Jerry Ostrom on sax, and uh, on some of their output, but not here, um, Sean Corgan. Sean Krogan, sorry, guitar and vocals, uh, who was from the band Cracker Bash. And on some, Brian Coling, who's credited with, credited with vocals on this track. They also released some singles. Um, they were connected with Mike Lastra of the group Smegma, for, also from Portland, who recorded much of their, their material, including this, at his studio in Portland. Not much in the way of post-Hell Cow's info for the members, 
Carl Anala was briefly in Earth, and he and Eric Stodic had a band called Plastic Horn Devil with a couple of al- albums. Saw them compared to The Screaming Trees, but I couldn't find anything to check out of Plastic Horn Devil. Mm. This song is like 12 seconds long and definitely in line with what you hear on their album and I assume on their singles too, which I've never heard. Um, but they were an active band, like not just in the studio. You see them on show flyers playing with like Sonic Youth, Oily Blood Men, Sun City Girls, The U Men. Lots of good bands for them to play with. Oh yeah. I've got all their stuff. The Hell Cows. Yeah. For sure. Oh yeah. For sure. G-Spot Crush, man. Okay. Well, you can play them for me next time I'm at your pad. Master of the Universe, written by Dave Brock and Nick Turner, two of the main songwriters in space rock pioneers Hawkwind, at least in the 70s. This appeared on their 1971 classic In Search of Space, kicked off what many regard as the classic era right before Lemmy joined the band. Like Beefheart, Hawkwind was a huge influence on the SST crew and early first wave punks in general. Like I've heard like, you know, John Lydon talk about Hawkwind. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. And Jello. Right? Yep. Yeah, for Pretty. sure. Jello. Yep. Uh, this version is by DC three. Uh, we saw them cover Hawkwind's Psy Power and Angels of Death on episode 156, the DC three live album. Angels of Death was recorded live at Raji's in December of 87. I just went back to that record to check uh, by the Spinhead mobile unit. So this came from that same show. Um, it's cool. Like we said on the live episode, Hawkwind just lends itself so well to the whole DC3 sound, especially when Paul Rossler just, you know, is doing his thing on, on the keys. Yeah. For me, this song isn't as cool as the two on the live album. I think they were right to pick the ones that they did. Um, it's just not as good of a song, really. It Like, it's not necessarily DC3's performance, which is fine. It's just not a standout like those two tracks were, for me anyways. Ah, interesting. I didn't go back and listen to it, but this was actually a standout track on this comp for me. Hmm. All right, Hotel California, written by Don Hanley of some god-awful band that I can't even think of one interesting thing to say anything about. So I'll, I'll move on to the far more interesting cover version. It's credited to John Press. Dave Dave mentioned he was an old friend who was previously the drummer in a punk band called The Patriots, who had a single produced by Spit Sticks from Fear. And it's the 1983 7-inch called The Land of the the Free. And the median price on Discogs is 230 US. Yeah. You can hear it on YouTube. To me, fairly kind of generic hardcore, in my opinion, of that era. Uh, But a few interesting things about it. They have a song on the We Got Power uh, Party or Go Home comp from 83 on Mystic. Right. uh, Compiled, I think, mainly by Jordan in connection with he, Dave, and Jennifer and Kim Pilkington's um, zine of the same name. I've got like the CD version of that. It has like 60 songs on it. Yeah, yeah. The other and most interesting thing about the Patriots, and I think I, I actually knew this or read about it, and maybe we even have said this on the show. When I when I saw this, I was like, I think I knew this. Um, the singer in the Patriots was Chris Peterson, a.k.a. Jack, one of the main TR kids in suburbia. Oh, no way. Yeah, the guy with the, kind of the spiked blonde hair and the black leather jacket. The rejected? Tom. Wake up and smell the coffee, man. It's hopeless. 
my old man's coming back later, and if we're still here, he's going to shit Twinkies. Which is a, fr- that's a phrase I've been using ever since seeing it in that movie like 35 years ago. Yeah, I've definitely heard you say that more than a dozen times. Wait a, wait a second, though. Are you done? Are you done the spiel on this song? Let me know when you're done with the spiel on the song. I have a question for you. Okay. Yeah, maybe we've mentioned this in early Painted Willie episodes. Uh, he was apparently a guitarist, this Chris Peterson, in an early version of Sin 34, circa 81. So that might be where I'm remembering that he came up on the, on the show before. Uh, and speaking of Sin 34, guitarist Mike Glass is credited on guitar here, who was in 30, Sin 34. Uh, he was also in Dave, Phil Newman, and Stephen McDonald's kind of spoof hardcore band Anarchy 6. Oh yeah, right. Yep. Um, Kill P- Ken Pilkington on The Answering Machine, we've talked about her. Uh, likely she came up with Jordan, but for sure with Jennifer Schwartz. Um, and on the movie episode, she's in she's in the movies. Another short 48-second avant-garde, kind of a tape loop thing, recorded by Dave, far superior to the original version of Hotel California, that's for sure. (laughs) What's your question for me, Let me ask you, so you like Joe Walsh, though, right? Uh, I have some of his solo. I I like uh, the James Gang. Yeah, see? See, see, you do like the Eagles. Okay, let's go. Next next song. The band that shall not be named. (laughs) Uh, the next song is Erections Are Glamorous, written by Ray Vogelsang of The Final Tour Guides. I really could not find anything on The Final Tour Guides. As far as I can tell, one single in 1986, self-released, engineered by Jim Dotson at his South Coast Studios, which is also where this track was recorded, so probably from the same session. But, I don't know, prob- I guess maybe not, because it's all different people. Also in the band, Ron Levy on bass, John Little on keys and guitar. This is the final tour guides I'm talking about. And on drums, Ed Huerta, also drummer on this track. And I know Ed as the drummer in the Lazy Cowgirls for a spell, including on one of the greatest rock albums ever made, 1995's Ragged Soul. Also the drummer in the Jack Brewer band. He played on both of the New Alliance releases. He and Ray also had a band called The Super 8 Project with Jeff Beals of a band called eggplant who had records on dr dream remember ryan my deep dive a few years back on dr dreams remember dr dream records yeah, yeah. man. another dr dream band called the swamp zombies featured vocalist t ray vogelzang on their 1992 album a frenzy of music and action and i also read mention of like an art band Ray was in called The Silly Millions, and I could not find anything about The Silly Millions. Hmm. This song is credited to Brewer Tendencies. It's Edward Huarta on drums, Ray on bass, um, SST production manager and ex and future Jack Brewer band guitarist Richard Ford on guitar and Jack Brewer on vocals. Uh, and that's Ray doing backing vocals on this track. It's a fairly loose, garagey, jam with kind of a repetitive back and forth verse some super noisy but effective guitar from rich ford it's also the longest song on here at five and a half minutes and jack brewer is always awesome so yeah yeah he steals the show on this track for sure yeah so speaking of the eagles have you ever seen that documentary? Why are we still talking about the Eagles? Speaking of the Eagles, have you seen that documentary, like the five-hour Yeah, that's what I want to watch. 
Yeah. Have you ever watched it though? <laughs> no, never. Oh, so if you think you hate the Eagles, <laughs> you gotta watch that. Yeah. You, will I hate you, them more? Or? Oh, your hatred will grow to a whole new level because they're on just a, entitled a, pieces of shit. On yeah, on a personal level, yeah. um, Glenn Fry and Don Henley, you will just hate them. <laughs> if if you think you hate Eric Clapton, watch that documentary. Yeah. Glenn Fry and Don Henley, you will just hate them. Joe Walsh is, you know, endearing. Yeah. And I know you like, you know, kind of still like the Eagles, the ones, the, the records that Joe Walsh was on. Yeah. But you got to watch those documentaries. Okay. Oof. It's it's just gross, but you have to watch. <laughs> All right. And then we've got uh, Stairway to Heaven, written, of course, by Page and Plant. Uh, I love Led Zeppelin, uh, but I'm not going to talk about them. Everybody knows who Led Zeppelin is. This is more or less the solo section of the song Stairway to Heaven, played by Red, Cl- Red Cross, or as mm-hmm. they're credited here, brilliantly, Led Cross. Yeah. Um, circa 1984, minus Jeff McDonald. There's no vocals, although he, he is also a guitar player in the band, but not here. I'm assuming this is Circa 84, based on when the movie came out. Um, that, what, song remains the same? No, no, this was recorded, this was used in... Um, in one of Dave's movies that came oh, out in 84. Oh, loved, loved All Superstar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Teen Babes from Monsanto came out around this same time as Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, um, which is also all covers. And the front cover is a photo from, I believe, a scene in the movie or or one of the locations used in the movie at, at any rate. Um, shot by Dave Markey, the cover photo. And the drummer at that time was Dave Peterson, Brother of Bangles, Vicky and Debbie Peterson. Hmm. I love this cover. I yeah. think it's I think it's just a great tribute while still being subversive. And the the sample at the end, instead oh, yeah. of any if, instead of any actual band vocals to tack that on. Oh, it's so well done. Yeah, yeah. For people who don't know, the, it's actually Robert Plant doing the sampled from the ending of the, the original. Uh, Dave Peterson also played drums on the tracks on the Desperate Teenage Love Doll soundtrack. Um, who knows, Red Cross had a million members, but as far as I can tell, this is the only thing that Glenn Holland played on. Um, Robert Hecker, credited here as Bob Hecker, totally just shreds the solo. Um, guitarist on Red Cross's arguably two biggest albums, Neurotica and Third Eye. A bunch of their earlier records too, and also on the Killer Comeback album, Researching the Blues. Hell of a guitarist. This track is used to great effect in the film. (laughs) Kitty Carriol is just minding her own business, um, just playing guitar on the beach when this... um, this gang, the She-Devils, just attack her and it ends with their leader, Tanya Hurst, getting shanked by Kitty Carriol. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just great. The Red Cross Doc. I listened to an interview with director Andrew Reich a while back. I don't remember the name of the podcast. I'm sorry, but people can probably find it. It was like last year sometime when I listened to it. Um, and he said at that time, I believe that the the documentary is in post-production. So it's like all the interviews are done and everything, you know, all the footage is gathered, I'm assuming. He's an interesting guy, Andrew Reich, not a filmmaker previously to, to making this documentary. Like he was a producer and I think a writer on sitcoms, I think maybe even friends, but don't quote me on that. But just a huge Red Cross fan who just decided to make this documentary. 
You're naming all of the faves tonight on the show. Yeah. Eagles, uh, friends. Yeah, yeah. Clapton. Artwork, Ryan. Um, photos from Dave's movies on the insert. Nice tie-in with uh, his book, Scenes from Inside. Yeah, totally. That book has a foreword by Thurston Moore and an interview with Dave conducted by Jennifer Schwartz. There's a really good 45-second teaser uh, on hoodbase.com uh, or you can f- find the link on Dave's website or on his Facebook page. When you watch that 45-second teaser, you'll you'll be ordering the book. Oh, it's pre-ordered. Yeah. Done. Done deal. Yeah. Some, some great uh, teaser photos there that some of which he says are actually in his book from, from his movies t- taken shot by various people, including yeah. Dave and, and Dezo and Vic and Drizzo. Um, a great thank you list. He thanks some of his, his filmmaker, you know, his favorite filmmakers on here, Roman Polanski, John Walt waters, Mark mother, Mothersborough gets a thank you, you know, all the bands, obviously. Yep. Joe Cole, all in caps. Yep. Amazing cover art, courtesy of Tate Mosasian. So this, the, the favorite, my favorite, well, my favorite thing is the cover art because it's awesome, but the, he mentions the accidental double exposure photo on the back. We were on Zoom when he and I were talking and he was pointing everyone out to me. And, and when we got off, actually, when I was editing the interview, I was like, oh shit, that was so cool and nobody is going to get to see it. So I, I shot him an email and, and, and kind of asked him to describe who's who. Um, so if you have the album cover, take a look here. And, and if, if you don't, you can find it posted on our Instagram as you're listening to this. But I'm going to try and, and go through his kind of description of who's who. This is left to right. Okay. Filmmaker Steve Doughton. With the white cap? I assume, yep. Okay. Londale's Dave Childs immediately to his right. With the headband? Yep. Tate Mosasian, who happens, he says, Dave says, who happens to be actor Sid Haig's son. Meant to mention that in in the interview. Do you know who uh, Sid Haig is, Ryan? No. He's that dude that's in all of Rob Zombie's movies, Captain Spaulding. Oh, I've never watched a Rob Zombie movie. You know who this guy is. If you just look, just Google Sid Haig when we're done. Okay. You you okay. know you know the actor. He unfortunately okay. he unfortunately passed away in 2019. Uh, he was in a shitload of, of movies. Usually, How do you spell it? Uh, Sid Haig. H A I G. H A I G. Usually, always a a villain. I'm assuming in every movie he's been in. <laughs> Are you looking him up right now? I am. Yeah. I don't recognize him immediately. Hmm. No. Well, you, I mean, you are a big horror movie guy, right? Yeah. I've, I've never really been super into that, but he's been in Kill Bill. Yeah. So I've seen him before. I don't recognize many other movies though. Okay. Next to Tate Mosasian, Lawndale's Steve Housden holding the 7-Eleven Big Gulp Cup. Yeah. Classic Big Gulp Cup. Yeah. I love that. Phil Dostalman. No lid, too, hey? Risky. Well, he, t- he probably took it off to put some booze in there, eh? Yeah, it's risky to hold those big gulps with no lid. Yeah. Uh, especially when you're on a merry-go-round. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't think he's on it. I think he's behind, right? He's not on it. Yeah. 
Speaking uh, of which, those merry-go-rounds, I'm pretty sure, are banned now, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of kids got, you know, severely injured with those. Yep. Lots of adults, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, next to Steve Housden, we've got uh, Phil Dostoman, Jim Dostoman, Alex Dostoman, and then Joe Cole in the red bandana. Belect- directly below uh, Joe Cole is Abby Travis. And below her is Des Kadena doing the backwards peace sign. See him? Oh, yeah. Uh, to his right is Dave. And above to Dave's right is Stephen McDonald. And yeah, then. But, uh, hold on. Who's the kid with the skateboard above uh, Des? I don't know. Don't know? Oh, that's too bad. And then we just get into the double exposure stuff. Tate Mosasian, you can see him a bit better. Like I thought, that's Phil on the very, very far right too, hey? Yep. And then bottom right of frame, Jennifer Schwartz and Joe Cole again. Yeah. Yep. I, th- I think that kid's got a street cab. Oh, yeah? Well, flip it over. Flip, like, flip it up. That's a dragon, I think, right? Isn't that Caballero? Could be. Yeah, looks like it. So cool. And I mean, like, you know, we've also been fortunate to have, like, half of the people in this photo on our show, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Isn't it? It's totally pretty surreal. How about some dead wax, Ryan? Not on my copy. No. Do you have some? No. Yeah. Mine. I mean, there's a very prominent K disc, but not JG. It's, it looks like CH or CK hmm. for the K disc, but no dead wax hmm. that I can see. All right, then it's time for the ballot result. Ballot result. As much as I love the Bruce Springsteen song, I'm not sure that it makes sense when I stack it up to my other faves, like Sonic Youth, I Am Right, love that one. Painted Willie, Clear Spot, love that. I actually really like the Brewer Tendencies, and again, I like this DC3 song stuck out for me. Might be because I didn't go back and re-listen and and compare it against other DC3 songs. But all in all, I actually would go with the Painted Willie track. I think it's a really, really great Captain Beefheart cover, and that's really hard to do. Yeah, we can do that. My picks were uh, Clear Spot, I Am Right, and I actually really liked SOS by Celebrity Skin. But we can do the Painted Willie Clear Spot. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't go with the SOS. Okay. Yeah. Donsky. Hey, Ryan, thanks to Dave for coming back on our show. Yeah, for sure. We feel very, very lucky that, again, half the people on the back cover have been on the show. It's yeah. uh, it's just awesome. I, I can't believe. Um, you know, I was uh, I was reading one of those uh, tweets that you sent me yeah. about, about some things that our listeners send us. And it's actually in one of the items in the Mojack mailbag, too. Uh, when I was reading one of the handwritten notes that we got to get to one of these days about um, how we actually inspire people um, to do their own thing and whatnot, which is super humbling when I think about how inspiring all of these artists Mm -hmm. from SST and how gracious they are to come on our show. But I actually hope that like something like the melting plot is inspiring for people too to just go and do something totally gonzo with their friends and just put it out there. Um, You know how there was that album 
that uh, I can't remember the name of the band. They basically covered the blasting concept too. Yep. Yep. Right? Like cover to cover. Yep. Someone should cover the melting plot cover to cover. Why not? Right? Well, Dave Markey was one of those guys that just got shit done. Got yeah. an got an idea, and ninety nine percent of the people out there would have just said, "Well, that's a cool idea," but I, who the fuck am I? I can't make a movie, you yeah. know. And he had this community of artists and friends who would help him do that, and that's that says something too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Ryan. What's next week? Next week, Brent, we've got a first timer on the show. It's SST two fifty. The self-titled Buffalo Tom record. Can't wait. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.